gentlemen welcome back to stories out of time and space i'm your regular host scott weatherly and as ever i am joined by the fantastic julian darius julian how are you doing you okay uh i think so i'm running on caffeine and fumes how about you pretty much the same i mean to be fair as we're recording this it's coming towards the end of the year we're just before christmas 2020 it's been a hell of a year so (laughs) to say you're running on fumes and i feel the same as well um but this has been a superb second season of uh, Stories at Time and Space. Um, so Absolutely. good. It's been so long and done so many films. I went back to obviously, we're going to review where what we've done, talk about a couple of the films again, some of the feedback we may have gotten. Um, and also, we're going to do a ranking out of 10 for the films. But it feels like we've done so much because I went back and I was like, oh, yeah, we did Godzilla this season. <laughs> I had the same thought. I thought, no, that can't have been the same season that we're, we're wrapping up. Mm. And, and you know, I mean, it's 12 episodes instead of 10. I You know, it's not that long. But uh, it, it does feel like, I, I mean, I, I think that's a sign that we've grown. You know, mm. we, we have more reference points. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I had to go back and check. Like, what did we do in season one? The other thing is, I think when we get to the scores... This season was pretty much like, here's some of the sci-fi films we really enjoy. So I don't think we're going to get many fours or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, although, wrong, but... although one thing that I found was there are things that we really enjoy as opposed to things that um, we know are classics. And we've chosen yes. because, we, you know, there are things on this list that I love Mm. Uh, but that are not, I'm not going to pretend is like, oh, that's a 10 out of 10. You know, Mars Attacks is (laughs) what cinema needs to be. I think I'm I'm actually going to cut that as a quote, and I'm going to put that everywhere. That's it. (laughs) Mars Attacks is what cinema needs to be, Julian Darius, December 2020. (laughs) Yeah, uh, you know, the sarcasm marks uh, have been removed from the end of that tweet. Um. But no, it's the same. There's a couple of films on here where I really had to think about it. Like, am I am I assessing this as a film, or is this my score that I'm giving it? And so, but well, no, it's my score because it's my rating, so I can do whatever the hell I want. So, I sort of went with that. Um, But yeah, I'm going to run through. Let's just quickly run through the films that we have discussed this season. So we discussed Godzilla, uh, the original, uh, 1954, uh, Quatermass and the Pit from Hammer, uh, Barbarella, um, uh, the uh, Space Sex Romp, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, uh, Videodrome, Transformers the Movie, the animated film, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Mars Attacks, Minority Report, which I've actually got some... That's caused a little bit of controversy, that one. Uh, John Carter, uh, Dread, 
and we ended with Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. So it's a real variety, a real sort of uh, spread of kind of films. Um, and yeah, we'll sort of have uh, sort of our real score and then either sort of what we personally feel that it would be. I think that that's what I'm going to have. And, and you might mm. have sort of like, well, this is what I, I think it is, but I can see somebody rating it that. Yeah. Well, a lot of mine will probably be, you know, this is where sort of people will probably rate this mid table and I rate it a little higher. There's mm-hmm. probably one or two films on this where I think people are going to go a little higher and I'm probably going to be a little lower. Um, but yeah, no. Overall, I think it's going to be very much of the same, the same vein at this one. Um, <laughs> it's been fun, but less of a challenge, I would say, in in this series, um, this season. But I mean, was what you know? Let, let's start at the beginning there. Sort of like Godzilla um, was a was a hell of a start because I'd seen it a couple of times. Uh, the fifty four. Um, I can't remember if you said you'd seen it or not, but I know it was. Uh, no, I'd never seen it. Mm. And I grew up on Godzilla. I mean, I, I have seen most of the Godzillas at one point or another. Um, but I had never seen, I guess, the original just didn't get run on, you know, Comet or whatever I watch. Yeah. So it stands, it stands, as you said, I think in the episode, so it stands you expect of a Godzilla film. Um you know, you get the sort of uh, the different eras. I know the sort of I can't remember the call now, but the different eras of, of the types of films you get, and everything from the silliness of like Godzilla versus King Kong, mm. um, through to the more blockbustery stuff they tried to do, especially in Japan with like Shin Godzilla and and uh, you know Monster Island and all that kind of stuff, <clears throat> to the Hollywood stuff. But um, yeah, I, I was, I, I still like that film. I think the '54 film is really good. Um, let me see, taking the Japanese cut. Um, do you think you'll ever go back to it? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that, um, well, you know, one of the things that I, I loved about it, and you know, we talked in the last wrap up of season one about movies that surprised us, and I think, mm. you know, for me, and I, and I sort of knew this was going to be the case going in that because I hadn't seen Godzilla and I hadn't seen Quatermass in the Pit, that those would both, the first two, would be sort of new experiences for me and surprising. And in, indeed, that's the case. And Godzilla was probably the biggest surprise. Um, I think that it is, you know, what I one of the things that I love about it is that it just works as a pretty well-structured uh, 1950s sci-fi movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sci-fi elements are not, you know, obviously they're over the top, but you know, there's, there's one central premise, but it's actually filled with artistic shots. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a solid movie on its own. And I just love that. And I think that, you know, the whole sort of Gojira genre is not known for well-made movies. They're known yeah. for, you know, the spectacularism of, you know, shots of Godzilla smashing wherever it's set. But um, so I really, for me, Godzilla was a real surprise. And, and for that reason, I will go back to it because I like that genre, but I often feel that it's not, that it disappoints me. And this did not disappoint me. Yeah, it's interesting because it's so different. Because I've seen a lot of the verses, you know, sort of um, 
or whatever they're called in the other titles. It's usually like Godzilla versus King Kong or Mechazilla or you know King Ghidorah or whatever it's going to be. It's not often that, like you say, you you go from you know, you can watch those. You go watch the original. You're like, oh wow, it's a very different idea and you know premise and uh, tone. Even you know they go because they lurch into sort of like campy sort of sci-fi and silliness and even comedy to an extent. But that first tone is a very, very serious film. And as we said, this, uh, you know, uh, in particular, the scenes of sort of the destruction of Tokyo, uh, where they see the city on fire. And you see, like, the thing that always stands out to me is that, the, as we talked about, was the, the, the woman, the mother with her kids. Mm. And sort of, like, you know, just holding them, thinking, like, well, this is it. Like, you know, this is, this is, <laughs> we're about to be destroyed by what the, whether it be the city falling apart and burning or this giant monster that's coming to destroy the city. And um, as, as a sort of uh, satire for the bomb, the, the, you know, the, the nuclear weapons, it sort of, it's, it really does, you feel that national almost catharsis with it really. So uh, I, I do enjoy it. And I think that's not limited to the Japanese experience. I mm. mean, I think because it uses that as a metaphor it's not just Hiroshima or, or, or even just the, the bombing of Tokyo and, and the leveling of Japanese cities. Um, all of Europe went through that. Yeah. You know, I mean, Europe was devastated. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm a big fan of uh, probably my favorite uh, period of, of any film is neorealism. And neorealism is dominated by these just bombed out cities and just you mm -hmm. know, the desolation of a culture either you know destroying itself or being entirely destroyed from without that sense of total devastation um of you know today we'd say an existential threat you know, to, yeah, yeah. You know. Um, no, but that I, comes across brilliantly yeah I, I, it's a good point Rick. so i do wonder if thought you know i don't think it was ever aired at any point in britain we you know beyond uh, at time of release but you know, if someone in 54 or 55 had seen this film and had lived through the Blitz, watched it, and would, you know, would they feel some uh, connection with that to say, yeah, you know, from a, the Japanese experiences that Godzilla can represent those nuclear weapons, but from us, it could represent uh, the Luftwaffe coming to bomb London or, you know, Coventry or Birmingham or wherever. <clears throat> so I suppose you're right, it can be transposed to those other experiences and it fits rather well. Um, yeah, that's a really good point. But I mean, it is. It's a good. It's a good standalone film as well. I mean, you know, it ends on a, on a sort of victorious <clears throat> note. Um, but I still find it fascinating of where it went. Yeah, and the other thing that is that I like is, you know, it's interesting because we'll do sort of uh, more campy fifties sci-fi later. Mm. We'll talk about that, but. Um, you know, my favorite film in terms of rating from season one was Forbidden Planet from mm. 1956. Um, Godzilla doesn't wind up being uh, my highest rated in this season, but I do find that stuff from the 50s that has been chosen for quality stands the test of time in a mm. way that, um, you know, it's harder to tell with more recent films sort of how you're going to feel about them in 20 years. And I think that Godzilla just feels it's well-structured. It goes for some artistic stuff. It is, for a film made in 1954, 
I mean, 70 years ago, it, mm. it just, you know, it's hard to look away. It's, it's hard to disengage from what you're seeing. And that's pretty amazing. Uh, yeah, it is. And I say, even to be watching a film sort of like 70 years later, um, and saying, yeah, this film stands the test of time and I'd recommend it. Not only is it, an, you know, a black and white film, it's in Japanese. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you've got to you know go through the subtitles. Well, yeah, there is a dubbed version, but it's one of those films of this list, as you say, it's probably it's not the highest I've got rated, but I, I do have it on DVD. There is no Blu-ray release in this country, which is a little annoying. Or well, there is, but you can only get it as a whole... Um, Whatever the first was it called like the Shenshi or whatever the first era was, I'm not really I don't really want the whole. <laughs> it's like 54 to 73, and I'm like I don't want those. I just want that one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it, it definitely sort of stands up. Um, so so uh, I rated it a seven and a half. That's exactly what I gave it. Oh, brilliant! <laughs> seven and a half. Well, you're yeah. right for once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there'll be a couple we might. Differ on, but that's oh, definitely. Sure. Yeah, I mean, and and for me that that's the perfect rating. Like, I mean, it's it's not, you know, eight is. I I think once we're talking eight and higher, we're talking about something that is is really special. That you know has, uh, not that Godzilla is not special, but um, you know, seven and a half is still of high rating for both of us. I think we're stricter than some people. <laughs> Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is, it's, it's a film that will stand the test of time, and I think will be revisited again and, and, and still works. Okay, so we move into another era and to a different country um, and sort of dealing with British sci-fi, but also Hammer. So this, this was our first sort of, i say our first uh, dabbling of Hammer sci-fi uh, from 67, Quatermass and the Pit. And again, as you said, this was the first time you'd seen it. And... Um, so I, I sort of threw it in there because I love this film. It's 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 one of my it was one of my first experiences of Quatermass, um, and uh, really sort of one of my first experiences of Hammer as well. So um, it has a special place in my heart. But what what are your thoughts of it? Memories of it? Uh, well, I grew up on Hammer stuff, so mm. but I'd never seen any Quatermass. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things that stands out for me now that I I don't think you know, stood out for me as much as just the Lovecraftian themes, mm. the, you know, the sense of, of mystery. I, I, I think that in retrospect, I think it's slower than it needs to be. Mm. Uh, but I love, I love how ambitious it is. I, and more than anything, that ending stands out for me. I love the, I mean, of course it's crazy. It's Ghostbusters <laughs> level crazy, you yeah. know, this projection on the sky. <laughs> But I do love the sort of unexplained nature of this Lovecraftian threat that it's it's all very, uh, you know, they explain it, but it's still sort of amorphous, you know, vague, doesn't really matter. Um, and that sense of just total devastation at the end. And like we've encountered the old gods and barely survived <laughs> kind of kind of feel to it. Uh, how what was in retrospect, what were your thoughts about it? Yeah, you know, I I've always liked the you say that the, the Lovecraftian elements of it. Um, I, I kind of like that there's two parts of it because I, I find it sort of like almost like a cozy British 
sci-fi film like you say the pacing of it is very british you know sort of like mm. um andrew Kerr as as um quatermass you know sort of like this sort of like slightly gruff uh grumpy sort of professor you know he's not james that's what i love about it he's not james bond you know he's, mm-hmm. he's not he's not kick-ass he's nothing he's literally a professor like he's just a scientist who gets involved in this stuff <clears throat> and so everything is dealt with as a scientist um, and so it is a bit slower because they sort of go, oh, well, we've got to figure this out. And we're going to do this. And, that. and um, I like the fact that, say, what you, and I think we both talked about in the show uh, at the time, was it's not so much anti-military, but it's not like rah-rah military. It's not like, there's aliens, we better shoot the darn things. It's like, <laughs> no, no, we're going to dig them out. We're going to do these experiments and we're going to figure this out properly. And And so, like, you know, it does degenerate into the chaos at the end and stuff as it's supposed to. But no, I kind of like that, that pacing and the sort of thing. I mean, the thing to highlight about it as well is, you know, this is a hammer production. This came from, you know, that, that studio, the budget isn't massive, but it's better than the previous Quatermass films. Um, but also this came from a BBC TV show. Mm. Um, it's a four hour or so four, it's four episodes, I should say. So a four episode, I think each episode is like 40 minutes. Um, TV show that was uh, produced in 1955-56 and so there's more story in that so some of the pacing issues comes from the fact there's some story bits missing Um, but I just like the fact that say this British thing of like no we're going to respect science and it's going to be like it's going to be lauded and stuff and it's sort of it's it's just yeah it's quite a cosy film to me I kind of enjoy that yeah I I do like those themes about respecting science and and I mean I do think that when I watched it the the first time through, I kept thinking, when is Quatermass going to be revealed to be like, you know, uh, from an alien planet or, you know, like have some sort of superpower? And and it's sort of like, no, no, he's just a scientist. He's just a guy. Um, And that is very refreshing. Well, it's always that thing, isn't it? Sort of like, I'm a scientist, but I'm a former Marine. Yeah. Or, you know. (laughs) Or something like that. It's like I watched. I'm I'm currently watching the Jack Ryan series on Amazon. It's sort of like I'm a CIA analyst, but I'm a former Marine, so I can do all this kick-ass stuff. And you're like, oh, okay, that's that's got to happen. But there's no, like you said, there's none of that in this. And if anything, um, it, it, at times like Quatermass is genuinely scared. Mm-hmm. You know, like, the, the things happen. And he's like, I don't know what's going on. This is crazy. <laughs> um. But the, the reveal at the end, as you say, is brave and, and and really cool to actually acknowledge to sort of get to a point where they're like, um, it's a bit silly, but like, yeah, human race engineered from Mars and Martian DNA is in us. And we yeah. have this innate thing to sort of kill off people to be the survivors, survivor of the fittest. Mm. You know, the Darwinian theory actually comes from this Martian thing. And also, it's, it's a... Um, you know, it's it's a it's it starts as a small story, but then has this big impact at the end, which I, I think is really cool. So, what did you rate it? Um, I will be honest; I actually rated this an eight. Oh wow! Because uh, I do I do go back to it, and I do have a real sort of soft spot for it. That's awesome. I gave it a six, mm. but that's a six. Where, I mean, I could go higher on it. And one of the problems is I'll. I want to stick with my original ratings, yeah. but I'll start talking to you and I'll be like, yeah, I do remember all that stuff. I do love that. Uh, 
you know, maybe this should be a 6.5. Should I, should I real quick change that? And my <laughs> so I'm not embarrassed later, but um, yeah, no, I mean, I think it's, I think it's above average. Um, I do think that those things stand out. I think it's harder for me with a sort of like the pacing and the, and the, the hammer low budget style. Mm. And, I mean, I, I want this to be, I mean, how awesome would this be at 60 minutes? Mm. Maybe for you, that would lose that coziness. I, I think the thing is, and I, I again, I said it on the show before, I do think like Quatermass is one of those characters that if you were to take him now, you could, you know, they did a, a, re, like a remake of the Quatermass experiment in, in 2005. Mm-hmm. But you could get a modern take on this. And you could add a little bit more to it, you know, give him a, a side, I don't know, give him a sort of a, a, like, a John, like a John Watson kind of sidekick that is a bit more action orientated or something. You could, but I think now is the perfect time. You know, if you want to do something like this, if, if especially if cinema's going the way it is, you want something a bit more low budget, but a bit more, you know, weird or something like that. Like Quatermass is a great opportunity and would reboot to the, to the 21st century really well, I think. Well, and I, and I do want to chime in uh, in, in defense of Quatermass, so that if you're an American and you are familiar with Doctor Who, you like, you know, sort of BBC productions, you've seen some of the old stuff, some of the new stuff, uh, Quatermass is, uh, you know, an easy transition mm. and you will enjoy it. And Doctor Who has conquered American sci-fi. I mean, yeah. that has finally happened. And people are ready for Quatermass. If you've seen, if yes, yeah, if you if without Quatermass, there'd be no Doctor Who. It's as simple mm. as that. It's 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 straightforward as that. Um, also, I would say is and we haven't gotten the list, but one one day we will do it. We will do the the Peter Cushing mm. um, Hammer Doctor Who as well, um, which completely I, I ignores. It. Yeah, yeah, but they completely yeah. ignore the BBC canon, and we're like, no, no, we're doing our own thing. But they are good. I really enjoy those. Um, so one day we will do those. But leaving our safe British shores uh, <laughs> and and, tra- and traveling, maybe not so safe at the moment, but travel traveling those dirty Frenchies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> taking our fish. Um, <laughs> but this is the this is the first uh, French comic adaptation of the Caesars. Actually, we had we obviously had two. But um, yeah, we went back to the sort of uh, the sex kitten sixties with Barbarella, um, and this was a definite interesting one because it's a a mixed bag, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised going back how this was one of them that I was surprised by how much the sort of first half and second half differed for me mm-hmm. because I remember Barbarella as just. It took me a long time to watch it, and then when I did as an adult, I, I had always heard about it. I was shocked by how much I loved it, and I still am. I mm. adore this movie. I mean, I, I think this movie should be mandatory viewing. I love its presentation of, you know, sort of, uh, you know, a sex sci-fi romp that's that's very sex positive. I think it's... Um, you know, imperfect, but it's filled. I mean, besides Duran Duran, I mean, so much comes from this. Mm. There are so many just crazy ideas in this. Um, I do prefer it to, um, I definitely find that I prefer it to say Flash Gordon. Mm. Um, you know, to me, it's gotta be, 
you know, sometimes I look at other movies that I've rated, right? And I'll say, like, okay, this has definitely got to beat out Flash Gordon. Yeah. For This is one of those cases where my heart tells me Barbarella, like, that is an eight or a nine, no problem, <laughs> you know? Uh, but my head tells me, yeah, maybe not. You know, it's a little, even the stuff that's really cool that they went for, like the sort of... Uh, uh, her sort of stripping out in the beginning. It's clever. It's a good title sequence. But you know, you don't. Ex- you're not exactly fooled that it was shot in zero G, right? Mm. What are your thoughts? No, it's, it's a. To me, it's almost like um, I would call it almost like a you know a period. Of, if you're gonna watch this in a period of life, you watch it when you're a student. To me, that's what you know. This is when you're going through that sort of experimental phase, where you sort of you know, mid to late teens, that's when you can watch this film and you're not going to be worried about plot a whole heck of a lot. And yeah, this happens and doesn't have a great deal of consequence or like this thing <laughs> gets dropped or whatever. And like you say, the film clearly is in two halves. Um, watch it when you, you know, when you're a bit younger and just enjoy it and take it in for what it is. Um and yeah, you know, I remember doing that. And, and but when you come back to it, it looks great. Like it, you know, some of the set design and the costume design and everything else is really cool. Like they've really sort of gone, um, you know, for want of a better phrase, for the six is far out. You know, like the interior of her her ship is a shag carpet. Not just the floor, everything, <laughs> um, all the way to like the simple designs at the end. Like the end of the scene is just a black almost like a completely black studio with some like lit, I don't know, fiber optic grass or something. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And it just looks so, and it's got like, you know, like um, magnifying glasses that they've run past and other stuff. Like just some really cool set designs. It, it just looks good. And it's, you know, um, it's colorful. It's got some great sort of like ideas, but I still stumble across the fact that like it, it sort of, you, get, you get to the end, and it's an ex. This is an experience. You know, well, yeah. I, exper- I experienced Barbarella. Do I want to experience that again? <laughs> I don't know. And I think that really comes down to when you, when you know, two things. Really. When you come at this film, so you know, are you more open to this kind of thing, um, and also your willingness to accept the weird in a film. I can imagine sort of someone a little bit older and looking for something with a detailed plot and being made to watch. It's like my my this would drive my dad mad. Really? Yeah, it, halfway it, through, it, but like he just, just be like, like, "What is happening here? I don't hey, understand yeah, this, anything." This film makes no bloody sense. It's rubbish. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. What? Am I, why am I watching this? Um, and I can understand that that approach, but I can see why this is still an experience and something. I agree that it should be mandatory. Everyone should see this mm. film. Mm-hmm. Because I think it will direct you to other kinds of films. Yeah, I don't think it's it's limited to that. I mean, I, I think that I think you're right that it's an experience. I think you should watch it as early as you can. Mm. Um, having said that, you know, I have another friend who is my age, who I went to college with, and he saw this later in life, too. He's a he's a more snobby sci- sci-fi fan than I am. Um, and. Um, you know, he's the one who introduced me to like Stalker and all the, you know, Russian stuff. And, you mm. know, it's, he loves Stanislaw Lem. And um, he loved this too. 
and saw it later in life too. So um, I don't know. I think you're, you're right that you have to be open to it. I don't know. I feel like this is something that we all know is a like flawed movie, but mm. almost every character from this, you could imagine somebody doing you know, their own art poster and yeah. hanging it in their dorm room or even just having the Queen of the Galaxy, you know, Jane Fonda poster up in their dorm room today. And I would think that that guy is so cool. Or that chick is so cool. You know, mm. no, it is. It is a film. Yeah, exactly. Like this, There are shots of this film that like I'm surprised are not I- iconic art prints. Yeah. Because you do look, you watch them and like on the screen, I'm like, how have I not seen? You know, there are certain films where you go, well, that's an iconic shot. Everybody knows that shot. I may not have seen the film, but I know that shot. And there are bits in this film where I am, I'm like, how has this not appeared elsewhere? Because you know, it's um, it, it's it's shot incredibly well for the mo- for again for the most part, um, and there are some really cool shots, but. The other part I'll say is, I think, as we said, the tone is... That's the problem I had with it, is the tone is a bit all over the place. That is true. Um, and they try to insert comedy. Again, I can't get past the fact that, like... Because this was, an, what was it, like an Italian sort of film made with an American star, and at one point, their password is a Welsh town. Right. <laughs> and it's like... I, don't know, I get that that's weird, and it's quite... It is weird, and it's wonderful, but, like, the, the tone was just a bit too jarring at times to... to for me to truly love it. I, I think what's interesting to me about that is that we, we got into some of the same stuff talking about Valerian mm. last episode. And I, I'm often, you know, the biggest critic in theory of mixed tone. You know, I don't want my Superman mixed with Doctor Strange. You know, I, yeah. I, I don't want sci-fi with magic, but I I guess that I have a more tolerance or the way my mind works. I like the visual. You were talking about those iconic shots. I'm willing to forgive an awful lot if Mm. I see those iconic shots and there are some crazy ideas and some crazy aesthetics going on that I think that's going to stay with me. I don't know about this daft plot, but, you know, there's something that's really going to stay with me that that is iconic that nobody else has done. To me, that is has its own special place in cinema history. And I also want to say, you know, I admire what this movie is doing. Mm. Uh, You know, yeah, you can see it's exploitation, you know, um, that was I mean, this is 68. So, you know, that was you know, a little more acceptable back then, but I think it should be more acceptable now. And, Mm. you know, sex has become so much about, you know, politics and we have these conversations that I think are good conversations to have, but, um, we've lost the sort of like sex romp, you know, (laughs) we've lost the sort of like, wait, this is something fun that humans do. And it can be silly and daft and sexy, uh, without, being some, you know, coherent political statement. Yeah, and I think you you mentioned Valerian there, and and you say we said about sort of how we would score, you know, scoring these, you know, your personal score versus is it a film? Barbarella sits with me, sort so stays with me better than Valerian, um, and it's a shorter film, and also it comes down to that thing again we talked about chemistry, like, um, you know. The cast of Barbarella, in particular, um, Christ, I've got a name now. Um, 
Barbarella herself. Um, Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda, sorry. You know, she's not a fantastic... Yeah, she's not, at this point, a, you know, Oscar-winning actress in this film, but she does have that sort of, like, sex kit and charisma throughout this film, and she carries, she holds the screen, not just because mm-hmm. of her, like, how attractive she is, like, just in her character, like, she holds the screen. And uh, other actors do as well. Like, you know, you you can't take your eyes off the screen with Barbarella, you know, but I could easy, more easily have done that with Valerian. Um, so for me, I, I think Barbarella sort of stands as a better film than Valerian in the, uh, City of a Thousand Planets. I agree. Um, and I'm a big defender of Valerian, but, you know, I, I think for me it comes down to the CGI and the budget. Um, mm. You know, Barbarella does so much with so little comparatively. And I think, you know, the CGI, when it works, I, and I don't think between the two films, anything compares to the opening few scenes of Valerian. Mm. Um, you know, through that alien planet, nothing, probably for my money, probably nothing in this entire season compares mm-hmm. to the beauty of that and, and packed with ideas behind it. But the downside is, the rest of it, you know, when something doesn't work or when something is just bland, that CGI gives it a sort of like glossy sort of like, yeah, it's just another thing. Whereas if it's a organic prop, if it's, you know, just uh, something you, you found the dust buster and made the little like creepy, you know, like uh, alien guy that squirts out uh, pearls in, in Valerian. If they made that in Barbarella, it would look awful, right? It'd be like yeah. made out of a dust buster. But but you'd say it's so cool. Like they covered this dust buster and like shag carpeting and yeah. like put some like weird marble eyes. And you'd just be like, that looks so bizarre that it's so cool in its own right. And it's still a fail, but it's a fascinating fail. But it's also a fail that you'd probably be able to buy, buy a plushie of today. So. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But that's what I mean. It would, because I think those sort of physical, um, practical effects do stand up better. And I always wonder that about less so with with CGI today, because it's got to such an extent that it's per, you know it's it's almost picture, you know um, picture perfect. But you do look at early CGI and you think like, what are you thinking? Mm. Like you could have done this with a practical effect. Like why? <laughs> why am I watching this thing that's clearly not there? Um, yeah. So what what did you give Barbarella then? Uh, I gave it a seven. Oh, okay, okay, I'll give it a six. Okay, well, we're not that far off. No, but no. yeah, I, I did enjoy it, and I think maybe one day I'll go back to it, but it's not what I'm going to be rushing to. Um, Next we up sort of, is Rocky. Yes, I was going to say, so we sort of sit with stick with the sort of, you know, the sex comedy element, uh, get slightly darker, but the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which I always forget this is made in the 70s. Mm. Um because to me, it sort of feels so much more modern. Like I always think of it as like an, an '80s film. It's, you know, it's, it's most definitely not. Um, but th- this has obviously got a, you know quite a place in your heart, really, hasn't it? This is a you know an important film for you. So, you know, what what, what going back and reviewing this? What were your thoughts on 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 discussing it for the podcast? Well, I mean, this is in my DNA. I mean, yeah. and I mean, for me, being able to express some of that and express some of why uh, meant a lot to me. Um, and this movie has meant a lot to me. I think that it, you know, you were talking about that and it, it, it occurred to me that just talking with you that it, it's sort of like somebody who grew up with a Disney musical 
and I grew up with them, and I, in fact, had the soundtracks. But, you know, if you, I mean, if you grew up with Frozen, right, we're, we've got a whole generation of kids that are going to have mm-hmm. grown up with Frozen. And the truth is, Frozen is a terrible movie. It <laughs> is just objectively terrible. I mean, there's so many things that don't make any sense. Half the numbers are awful. But if you grew up with that, then, you know, it's just like, let it go. You know, that just the swell, your heart yeah. swells and, and, and you're going to forgive all of the, the bad stuff and just say, that is a classic. How dare you say anything bad about mm-hmm. that? So that's my gut instinct about Rocky. And I do think it's cool that, you know, I, you know, I'm a cool guy that my version of Frozen is the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> that's the closest I have. Um, but yeah. What are your thoughts of watching it again and, you know, thinking critically about it? You know what, it's, it's one of those films that, for me, again, when I first came to this film, like, you know, many, many years ago, I came at it already with a sort of a general understanding of it as like a midnight movie. You know, you go along to the screenings and you, you, you know, you sing along with the songs and you the bouncy ball and the lyrics and you, people are going to dress up in crazy things and all this other stuff. So I sort of had this vision of this whole, this, this, the holistic part of it, um, which was great. And, you know, going to it, but the other thing is, as I sort of explained to you when we, when we had the show was time warp mm. was released as a pop song. So that song for me has existed way back into my history. So that when I was a kid, that every party, every wedding, every Christian, every, everything I've ever been to was, it's been played. And I've had like, you know, my nan has been on the dance floor dancing to the time warp, you know, that sort of thing. Like, so it's sort of, again, it's, it's intrinsically British. It's in there as sort of like this thing, but not for what it actually is. Um, so when I watched the film this time and really watched it, I was kind of taken aback by like how much it's got to say, you know, about um, everything from, like you know, sexuality and gender and, um, it positively in many regards, but then again, sort of, but then other things about like how to treat people, um, you know, this idea of loneliness, this idea of uh, being cut off from, you know, your home and all this other stuff. Like I was like, wow, this, this film's actually, you know, got some real sort of like it's meaning and messages and sort of makes me think more about what was Richard O'Brien, what was Richard O'Brien going through when he was writing some of this stuff. Um, but yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. You know, the soundtrack is great. Again, not every song is a belter, mm-hmm. um, but the soundtrack is really good, um, really solid. And again, like, some of the acting's great. Some of the performances are really, really cool. And so it, it sort of it surprised me how much I got from it. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it's again, like, you know, it's, it's hard to describe it. I always know that Tim Curry was Dr. Frankenfurter, and I've seen the images and all this other stuff. But then you watch this and you really watch it. And the moment he sort of casts off the cape mm. on his on his throne, and you just <laughs> in that moment you're like, oh, okay, now I sort of get this whole thing. Like, I know what this is about. This is just about like being fabulous in the best possible way. Um and, and so, yeah, I really enjoyed going back to it, actually. Yeah, it's interesting because I don't think of it as a British movie at all, which it mm. obviously is. But, you know, I grew up with it as an American phenomenon. 
And well, so I, I don't think about that. And and I don't think about like I mean the time war we we don't have anything like that. <laughs> what what seems to you say has been a British film? It, it, although Richard O'Brien, you know, British Tim Curry's British, and I'm like it clearly is more about American culture mm-hmm. though. I mean, the whole thing starts and you have like the American Gothic sort of image, don't you, at the beginning and um you know, the whole thing of sort of uh, Brad and Janet are like the atypical American, all-American couple and that. So it's, it's, I, I definitely see, although it's probably got some British production, like it's very much an American film to me. Yeah, and having having been in the Midwest, I mean, that, you know, I'm in the Midwest right now. I mean, that's mm. very dear to my heart. And I think that, um, you know, I mean, if anything, I was sort of, I don't know that I was raised with, but I certainly developed a kind of, contempt early on for the Brad and Janets of this world, the sort of, you know, milk toast, uh, yeah. uninteresting types. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like what you're saying about thinking about what Richard O'Brien was going through. And I think that this is a movie that if anything, it's more uneven than I remember. You know, I remember the highlights. I remember the iconic stuff. Um, I think it's more remembered than Barbarella. But I think they're very similar in that they're filled with iconic, wonderful stuff, but they are very uneven. And yeah. there's there are a lot of themes in this that just kind of overlap and kind of go nowhere. And you're not really yeah. sure, like, what, what was that about? Um, but at the same time, it, it does stand the test of time. And on an issue where our politics and our under, even our understanding of what it means to be gay or trans or intersex or anything has has changed so much we're still able to pull things out of this and and Mm. even if it is a little dated and i think that is amazing to say about a movie from 1975 yeah if anything i say it's so it's so incredibly progressive no say it it didn't get everything right Mm. um but yeah, it's incredibly progressive, and its attitudes towards some of the characters is is fascinating. Um, I like the fact as well that within the film, like you know, Frankenfurter, clearly the villain, but also the best person on screen throughout <laughs> the entire film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that, that and that was fascinating talking about with you the uh, sort of trying to piece out how like how do we feel about. Uh, Frankenfurter and how do we feel about like what does that mean mm. that the, the villain is the most attractive wonderful uh, character in the movie obviously and what everyone remembers yeah I mean in, in you know going back to it, it's one of those things that um, you know I've, I haven't watched it since but it, it, it's a film that does pop into my head every now and then because of some of the scenes and stuff like that but as I was preparing for this episode and sort of like thinking back on some of these, one of the ones that sort of um, struck me was the title of the film. Because I'd never thought of it before. I, you know, I think, oh, yes, yeah, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And then I was thinking, well, actually, the Frankenstein's monster kind of, the creation is called Rocky. And I was like, actually, yeah, is it his horror? Is that what they're saying, actually? This film is his horror. It's the Rocky horror mm. That's the only thing I could really think of. And I was like, that's an interesting title. Like, you know, is that another perspective that Richard O'Brien was actually saying? Like, you know, yeah, we've got this, 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 this being, but actually, like, he's, you know, he's freshly created, then chained to a bed and abused and all this other stuff. And, um, 
Yeah, I think what's interesting about that for me, I mean, I always forget that the play was the Rocky Horror Show as opposed Mm. to a picture show. And then they're like, well, we do a movie. They might as well have called it the Rocky Horror Movie. Um, You know, means the same thing. Um, But for me, I encountered it as the Rocky Horror Picture Show. So Mm. that's just, you know. I mean, and in fact, if anyone references the Stallone movie Rocky, I, of course, instantly assume they're talking about the Rocky Horror <laughs> Picture Show, you know. Um, That's a crossover that I think would, you know, should have happened, but oh well. Oh, I mean, we, we need to CGI Tim Curry into, you know, <laughs> every, meeting, every uh, movie. <laughs> that's true. We need just Tim Curry and everything. When, when we go back in time and we CGI out all the cigarettes from old yes. movies, you know, we'll just insert Tim Curry at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm up for that. So what did you rate this one? Uh, I actually gave this a seven. Exactly what I did, gave it. Because mm. I, I do think, like, you know, it's it's a film. It's also one of those films, like, the, the better quality you get this on, the, the sort of, like, so, you know, everything comes through. And some of the, I'll say, some of the Blu-ray releases as well have got some really cool features. So if you do like this film, like you know, there are some pretty good uh, additions of it out there. Um, but going from the weird to the weird, like we really spent a really like, <laughs> period of like going through some weird stuff. We jump into the eighties and you know talk about picture shows. We we go to Videodrome um, and James Woods and uh, the New Flesh. Uh, th- this again was another me revisiting something that I hadn't watched since university. And so it was a bit like an eye-opener. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is weird, this one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I love this movie. This is another one that I think, I think all three of these, uh, Barbarella, Rocky, and Videodrome, are very divided for me in terms of which half I like. And I think Mm. that, you know, with Barbarella, I always, you know, I remember... The second half, same thing with Rocky. I remember the second half and I go back and I think, no, oh, this is slower than I remember. You know, this isn't as iconic as I remember. Mm. And then it's sort of they both films sort of hit their stride. And I'm like, oh, yeah, now I remember why. Videodrome is the opposite for me that I, I the difference with Videodrome is that I don't often think about I don't often want to rewatch it. Like, you know, yeah. Barbarella is fun. Rocky, I've got loaded into uh, every portable device that I have. <laughs> so, that you know, when I'm driving cross country and I'm just like, oh, I'm feeling tired. You know, I put on the Rocky Horror Picture Show and I'm singing along with mm-hmm. it and I'm, and I'm happy and I'm smiling. And God bless it for that. <laughs> uh, Videodrome is something that I love. It's super dear to my heart, but it's not something I want to revisit. <laughs> Um, but I do love that But once I'm into it if once I start it maybe like 30 seconds in I'm in love with it and Mm. and for me it's the opposite that by the end I'm thinking well that kind of went in a direction but uh, once I put it on and I get a minute or two into it I'm just sold and I'm just on a roller coaster that I love what about you it's similar it's one of those films that um like you say, it makes decisions were made <laughs> to, towards the end. Um, That's going to be on the, the DVD, right? The decisions yeah. were made. <laughs> um, and again, like some of it works. Like again, I really like that it, it has that mystery. Like it starts with 
a bit of a well, what is this video drone? And so you're being you are pulled in to know more. And so you are you are with the James Woods character of like, you know, what is this weird thing? Like, you know, is it a a snuff channel? Is it some is it all fake? Is it what what is it that he's getting and how can he get it on his little network? Um and so it starts out and then and then it sort of <clears throat> it's from the moment he puts that helmet on. Like you've had the weirdness, but the you know, um up to that point. And then it's but the, the moment he puts that helmet on and it goes from there, like it starts to take leaps and bounds. Um, yeah. And it's one of those films where I can remember scenes from this film. And sometimes I'm like, I'm not entirely sure what order mm-hmm. these scenes came in, but I don't think it really matters. Um, but again, I'm, this, this film, the first half is fine, but the second half, like, I feel like there should be more detail. Like there's something that feels like there's something missing. You know, like you, you are partaking of a, almost like as a third party of a wider story. I think we said this in the show. Like you know, he it says that welcome to the new flesh, and he's got to do this mission and stuff. And you're like, what is this bigger, grander thing then that's going on? Like we need to know more. Like you don't, I'm glad that the film sort of doesn't, but also I wish it did because it feels a little bit like there's, there's a step missing in in that last, especially in the finale. Yeah, and I think that I think you're right about all of that, and and I do think that you know Barbarella, Rocky, and Videodrome are all sort of experiences mm. that their plots kind of fall apart at certain points. Maybe Rocky less so, but you know what you said about Videodrome, I th- I think is really key about not remembering scenes in the right order. Mm. And that is that's absolutely true. Like when I think of video drama, I think, you know, long live the new flesh. I think about the, yeah. the videotaping inserted into his stomach, you know, and pulling a gun out and just, you know, I remember the snuff film stuff, um, you know, and I think this is mad and crazy. And there was a whole conspiracy there with a guy who's dead, but he's, you know, communicating you through recordings. And you kind of think, well, I must have forgotten what the real conspiracy was. You know, no, it's not in there. It's a, it's a series of ideas and, you know, sort of skits. And most of them work and they're fascinating. And, you know, like you said about Barbarella, they're sort of iconic. Uh, mm. Obviously a very different aesthetic, yeah. but, you know, Cronenberg aesthetic, but uh, iconic and wonderful and unforgettable. But there is a sort of like different version of this movie that tries to do those things more seriously and either achieves it wonderfully and transcends Videodrome's failures or falls on its face and shows why Cronenberg should never have had a uh, a, um, a reboot. Yeah. yeah. Well, I agree. And that, that's the thing, isn't it? It's almost like, yeah, should... Is it good that it holds back? I mean, like you say, the, you know, you talk about the, the scenes. The fact that, like, you know, he's sent to commit an assassination and there's this guy that gives him the helmet. And it's all got to do with a glasses company. <laughs> Why? And, yeah, and at no point are you like, you know, I'm, I'm fully expecting, like, some villain monologue at the end to give at least a snippet of, like, we're going to use glasses to do mind control things. You know, like, it's going to be like a, a they live kind of thing. Mm-hmm. No, never comes up. Never get this explained, <laughs> and it's just it's just that thing of like I almost think like if this film was, I don't know if it needed to be longer, but if it was some purpose parts of it repurposed, um, 
in some way, just to give or show some form of exposition, just to give a little bit of a snippet of that wider world. Doesn't need to be much. Like, I don't want... Like, there's a massive intergalactic, um, you know, civil war going on, and it's been fought on Earth between these two kinds of people. Like, I, don't, I don't need any of that. I just need, like, just a snippet of there's something bigger than this, and it's legit. Um, even if we think it's in his head, I don't... You know, that thing of it being, is it in his head or not, is it sort of comes to at the end. Um, you know, because he, since he's had that helmet on, and is it all hallucination? And you can debate that. But, like, even if it is all hallucination, like, his hallucinations really have plot holes, and he needs to have, so, you know, someone better writing his hallucinations. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I am I was just thinking of, of how it compares to The Fly, because Cronenberg is, I, I think, the first director that we have done multiple movies of. Mm. Um, and I think that when you make that comparison, the sort of, obviously, you know, they're from sort of the same period generally in Cronenberg's career, where, and it's the period that he's most known for, where people, you know, like in Rick and Morty, when they go, you know, oh, it's a Cronenberg monster. Yeah, it's yeah. from this period, right? It's not like a yes. history of violence, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's remarkable how unconcerned with plot this is and how very concerned with plot the fly is. Mm. But they share a tone. And I think that's the sort of, the, the, you know, for me, the similarity is that they both have this sort of like descent into madness and they both have this sort of like um, inevitability of the sort of failure and, um, po well, possible death of, of the protagonist. I mean, all right, it's the definite death of the protagonist in The Fly, mm. um, but, you know, and mm. whether or not, the, the end of, of um, Videodrome is actually his death is is debatable, um, but I don't know. They but they definitely have this sort of like descent of you starting with grand ideas. I mean, you know, I'm not going to say that Brundle and <laughs> James Wood's character have similar aspirations, but it is this thing of doing better and, and getting hold of something better. So even, I can't remember the character's name now, but James Woods' character acknowledges it. Like, look, yeah, we're just this crappy little network. If we want to get bigger, we've got to have this stuff on to go do this other stuff. And I think that's a bit, it's a similar aspiration to Brundle, really. So it is, it's reaching for the stars and failing and getting mixed up in something you're not quite ready for. Um, so I can see there being a parallel between them. But yeah, you're right. Isn't it? <laughs> no, I mean, they, they both, uh, you're right about that descent arc. Uh, that's a very good point. And I, I, the difference between the two, I love how slimy James Woods is, right? I mean, he's not a scientist in, at all. In, he's real, just, in real life or just in this show? <laughs> well, both, right? I was going to make that joke too. But, you know, that he's, um, you know, he reminds me of like a Philip K. Dick character who's just mm. like, you know, yeah, no, he's, he's not a, you know, uh, eccentric scientist he's just kind of a slime ball trying to make a buck yeah. <laughs> you know um but there, but there is i think videodrome uh, it's an inferior movie to network um but it gets at some of those same ideas um it, it, it's just sort of the you know the 80s version that goes into you know hallucinogenic lunacy mm -hmm. as opposed to you know sort of being farcical in world realism yeah, no, I agree. Um, I do, I do think it's one I will revisit in the future, though, because I do. Again, I the you know the iconic um, 
images from it and some of this stuff like and this there is stuff i think if i watch it in a, in a different mood i think i will take something slightly different from it and that's one thing to enjoy from it uh, but uh, saying that what did you give it for a score? I, I gave it a seven. Oh, okay i'll give it a 6.5 yeah i was thinking i might i might seven might be a little generous especially because i looked back and i saw that the i rated the fly a seven um and I had a note that, like, I could have gone a little higher on the fly, and I could go a little lower on Videodrome. Mm. I do think the fly is the better film, although the themes of Videodrome are more dear to my heart. I can see why people would get more I'm not obsessed, but it becomes something special to someone, you know, because there's so much you could take from it and debate about it, and, and you know, so I could see someone become, becoming their obsession. Um, but moving away from dark sort of <laughs> sort of descent into madness, uh, and to a lighter note of the death of an iconic character from the eighties, <laughs> uh, we did Transformers the movie, the animated movie. Um, obviously, sort of sits between is it seasons two and three, right. I believe. Um, and so, yeah, you don't really need any any previous knowledge because it's obviously jumps in. There's a time jump and everything else. But uh, again, this is a biggie, really, because obviously you're a, you're a big Transformers fan. What were your thoughts again, sort of like discussing this for the podcast? Um, I, you know, I'm always amazed at how well other people like this movie. I think that this was growing up. This was, you know, ninety percent of what I loved about Transformers was basically this movie. You know, mm-hmm. um, it was so much of what I remembered and, and what I wanted, you know, even animation to be. It was so much closer to the serious sci-fi that I thought Transformers could aspire to be. But I thought I was alone. You know, I knew from the Internet once I got on the Internet that that other people were out there who felt the same. But this movie seemed basically forgotten. And I was, you know, if I told somebody about it, it was like, oh, yeah, did they do a movie of that? Mm-hmm. Um and of course, now we live in a different era in which, you know, every, you know, we, we've had all the Michael Bay films and people <laughs> remember Transformers, which wasn't always the case. And also this movie is available and strangely has come to be beloved. And mm. I'm amazed by how other people, when they see this, are like, yeah, actually, that's, you know, it's got its flaws, but it's got a good soundtrack and it, and it holds up. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I mean, I think the thing as well is it saying it holds up. I mean, the, the music in itself, you know, there's several songs in this that, uh, the, you know, the Vince DiCola sort of soundtrack and all this other stuff is really cool. Um, uh, but the thing for me that going back to this and watching this again, again, with that critical eye and sort of starting to think about it, was the quality of the animation mm-hmm. um, for the 80s. I love 80s animation. And... and there's a sort of um, in my head. I always I always get the sort of the '80s explosion. So when things explode in, you know, whether it be because these were all like Korean animation houses, weren't they? A lot of this stuff was done from the way they draw an explosion is a very specific way. Uh, it's almost anime-ish. I've seen it in other anime, but I love it. It just it's just such a cool thing, and you see it in this film quite a bit. You know, it's that ball explosion that then goes out, sort of like, you know, there's a little delay, and then it, boom. Um, and you see all that. But then the start of this film, li- this film literally starts with the destruction of a, of a planet. 
And I was like, oh yeah, no, this 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 film's this film starts brutal. Uh, and, <laughs> and and for the first 20 minutes continues to be brutal. Like it's a kid's film where they want to sort of set you up and say, we're gonna kill this entire planet, and then we're gonna kill all your favorite characters. <laughs> And then we're going to go off to have some fun around the around the galaxy, um, and it is. It's just it was just sort of kind of shocking. I was like, oh yeah, Christ, this <laughs> film gets a bit dark, but it looks great doing it. So you know, um, I, I really do enjoy this film. I think there's some, a lot of fun to be had here. I, I think that beginning sequence has has stuck with me so much. I love that beginning sequence. I love how it's it's absent of dialogue. I love the animation. I love everything that you just said. Um, yeah, and it, it the other thing that I would say is it goes for it, right? Mm. Like, you know, a lot of you know we were talking about uh, Quatermass and and sort of like that ending, how you know it, it you see the budget there, but they go for it, right? Mm. And I and I love there's stuff in Transformers where it's like you know they landed on. They when they land on Quintessa and it's like oh I guess I guess the every planet is robotic like you yeah know, and, and they did stuff some stuff on like that on the series too where it's like oh I guess the fish transformed too <laughs> you know, it's like you know um, but it's it's such a weird uh, aesthetic it's such a weird it's beautiful the animation is beautiful but it's just a weird sort of like world that this movie inhabits. And I think it compares favorably to, like, heavy metal, which we got to mm. do at some point, um, and and to a lot of other animation from the period. Even though it's a uh, spinoff of a cartoon show that begins, you know, in the middle of a cartoon, and the whole point of the cartoon was to design to sell uh, toys that were themselves repurposed from you know, different toy lines in Japan and they could just slap them together and create a mythology out of Marvel and, you know, sell them to American kids like hotcakes and damned if it worked. Yeah. But strangely enough, that mythology that they built, I mean, that story should be, nobody should remember that toy line, right? Nobody should mm. remember the dumb stories they came up to slap these toys together and sell them to, you know, kids like me. Yet somehow that dumbness uh, flowered into Transformers the movie, which, you know, again, this is one that like in my heart, this is like a nine or a ten. I mean, yeah. few movies have influenced me more than this. Having said that, yeah, I mean, all the stuff like if, if this is Star Wars, I'm like, yeah, how did you get from this point to that? I guess, you know, this planet is on the way. Yeah. Uh, you know, none of that stuff makes any sense. How, you know, how do they, they all, I hadn't real, realized until I watched it for the podcast, how everybody knows what everybody else is doing at all times. You know? <laughs> like, but they never communicate. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, it's just yeah. like, you know, to get the plot moving and a lot does happen in an hour and a half, but to get that plot moving, they just constantly have to know what each other are doing. Um, yeah, so for me, this is a seven, sort of mm. bracketing my heart, breaking mm. my heart, putting putting aside, trying to trying to be unbiased. Uh, it's a seven for me. What about you? I, I give it a six and a half. Um, I I do really enjoy this film. I I really do. Like it's great fun. Um, 
and you know the death of Optimus Prime will always, you know, bother me when I watch it. Um, <laughs> but like you say, th- there are weaknesses in this film. Um, the trash planet, and it, like you say, it sort of lulls a little bit in the middle when they're sort of filling it, and it's clear they're like, we've got these other toys we want to throw in at some point. Um, <laughs> but on the other side, like there are scenes in this that are just out and out awesome. So like even you know the introduction of Galvatron. When he sort of, uh, you know, Starscream is um, crowning himself, and you have that whole scene where he basically kills Starscream and crushes the crown, and you're just like, yeah, no, I've forgotten. This film's brutal. Yeah, that's right. They're going to just kill anybody. That's fine. Um, so there is stuff in this that really stands out. But like, so yeah, I think six and a half for me, sort of like, it's, I will definitely go back and watch this again. Like, it's, yeah, definitely. The scene that sticks out for me, just before we go on, like that about the brutality. Even more than Optimus Prime is the invasion of that shuttle with yes. Megatron, where it's just like yeah. they rip a hole through the wall, and you watch characters that you you love just falling down with their eyes smoking, and you're like, "Wait a minute, he's dead, isn't he?" Yeah. <laughs> you know? yes. And then you know that's sort of such heroic nonsense as he just yeah. shoot caps a guy. You know, boy, that that brutality that is the one that that. I sort of tear up more now from that than I do Optimus Prime for some reason. Yeah, but it's, it is. It's a, it's a good film. I do enjoy that. Um, but again, still sticking with this sort of the this this eighties uh, uh, mentality, it, we we and sort of well, for me, I keep forget. I often forget this is an eighties film because associated with more heavy metal, which and, and the aesthetic seems early nineties to me. But Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure from nineteen eighty eight. You know, recently we've had a sort of a, a, a legacy call. We've had sort of Bill and Ted face the music. I still haven't seen it yet. Um, but th- this, for me, going back, it's, it's one of those sort of. It's just one of those films that just exists as sort of like, yeah, it's great. I'm just, I'm just there. Like you know, it's not, it's not sort of like. Um, I just there's just films in my life that I'm just like, yeah, I watch that film. <laughs> I, 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 I like it. I don't know what the problem is. Um, but again, going back and trying to watch this with a critical eye, I, I actually found quite difficult because it's a film that I've, I've watched a lot of times before, a bit like with Transformers, and you just get taken on the ride. And every now and then you have to stop yourself and go, whoa, no, 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 no. I've, I'm, I'm supposed to be watching, watching this film, not just enjoying this film. Mm-hmm. Um and it is, it's a proper ride. And again, like some of the stuff in this film doesn't make any sense, you know, um, and, and we can critique it for that. But I, the, there is a sort of like the chemistry of, of you know, Keanu Reeves and Alec Winters um, across this film. Like you love these idiots and you want them to succeed. <laughs> uh, and, and so, the, you know, and, and when they do the finale, which again, like makes no sense that they're doing a history demonstration to an auditorium of like tens of people um, is bizarre, but like I'm with it. You know, it, it seems to earn that finale for me, but yeah, yeah. What are your thoughts? No, me too. I, I, you know, the thing that I'm amazed by about this movie is how genuinely good it is. Mm. Um, you know, look, transformers, the movie Rocky horror have, have meant so much more to me personally. Um, you know, they're in my DNA in a way that Bill and Ted aren't. Uh, I probably went, you know, 15 years without seeing this movie. Coming back to it, it is just a good movie. And I and 
I don't know why, except that it is fast-paced. All of those problems that you point out, they are there, but you don't care because the chemistry is there, yeah. and then it hits the point and moves on. And maybe the worst moment is the sort of like, um, you know, I forget, you know, Ted's dead, you know, with the medieval stuff that kind of like goes on yeah. and drags a little. That's like the one time that I ever felt the movie drug dragged. And it just, you know, but what does it drag there? Like, you know, 60 seconds. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think this is one of those movies that, you know, I would compare it to sort of Back to the Future. Um, where Back to the Future has tons of plot problems, but mm. it is, you know, just like a pitch-perfect movie where, you know, you're just along for the ride, everything works, um, you don't care about this plot problem. I don't think this is as good, but it has that same sort of forward propulsive momentum and just and just every scene works for what it's doing. Yeah. And, you know, there, there are sort of, you can nitpick, as you say, you can nitpick this film to bits. Like, you know, I always think of the fact that um, they're clearly indicating that, that Beethoven is deaf when they take him from um, his home, yet he then goes on to play an electronic, electronic keyboard <laughs> with <have> no <laughs> vibrations. But I'm not bothered by that. Like you say, you know, it's a little very minor nitpick. Um but like you said, just the fact that this film has a montage of historical figures running rampant in a um, <laughs> in a shopping mall that includes, uh, I think it, was, it might be yourself that pointed it out, but includes a scene where uh, Sigmund Freud gets rejected by two girls, and whilst he's been rejected, his his corn dog drops down and stuff like <laughs> yeah. just silly little things. And I, I agree. I think that they just. We talk about before, but a lot of these films, like, they just go for it. And I think there's an element of this film where they're like, look, this is either going to live and die on its sort of... If you, you need to love these characters. If you don't like the characters in this, none of this works. You know, if you get irritated by Bill and Ted, then... <laughs> <laughs> this film this film will fall flat very very quickly um and and i think just because of them characters the chemistry of them and then who else they bring in i just think it's just yeah i'm just so taken on by this film i am too and and it's it's interesting to me that i probably was less taken by it in 1989 mm. um that i you know you said if you're if you're annoyed with bill and ted I was probably, you know, 25% annoyed with Bill and Ted yeah. in 1989. Uh, and now it's like, you know, look, I, I mean, I probably had twice their IQ, but I was still just stupid kid. You know, mm. I mean, they're still just stupid kids and we were all stupid kids. Mm. And there's a, there's a, I am able to let go of some of that and just be charmed by it. Um, and the other point I wanted to make is that I, you know, all of the discussion that we had on, on the previous episode about Valerian and sort of like how my brain doesn't work the same way about character. It does here. Yeah. And, you know, I am just charmed by those characters. I'm charmed by the charisma of those actors. It is amazing how much that that carries the film mm. um, and the difference that casting makes and the difference that timing makes and the difference that editing makes. Uh, yeah, totally. I mean, I think this is a, this is actually, a, you know, exactly what I was saying about Valerian. Um, in, in you know, in the this film centers on Bill and Ted, 
Like they are eighty percent of this film, and there are a lot of other films like this. You know, I suppose it's the same as like the Blues Brothers. You know, if you don't like Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi being the Blues Brothers, then you're not going to like that film. You know, and the same with Bill and Ted. Like, if you're not going to be, if you're going to be taken along by this, and you know their performance and their sort of dim-wittedness is going to entertain you, and you you're going to see them as the sort of the, the lovable idiots, then. <laughs> You will be, you will accept this film on its own terms. I mean, the, the things we said, like you know, the fact that actually um, Alex Winter's character—I I never remember which one they are—Bill <laughs> is actually smarter than he always lets on because there's always mm. these little. Like, he answers questions, and even the, my favourite one at the end, when sort of Freud at the end says, "Do you want some time?" He says, "I've just got a slight eatable complex." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and little jokes that really good. Like I say, I think, and I think it stands up like. One of the concerns of sort of comedies and stuff from the eighties is that it's ge- it's it's uh, race, sex, and gender politics doesn't age well, and so you get that sort of like oh this feels a little awkward. There's none of that because there's almost like a naivety to this film. Like mm. none of that matters in this film because they're not bothered by any of that. You know, and it, at one point I was worried. I thought, like, is the Missy stuff going to come across as creepy? Right. It, not really. It comes across like you you feel as awkward as as Bill and Ted do about it. <laughs> as you know what I mean. So it's almost like it's not creepy. It's just a little bit like oh that's awkward. Um. So yeah. Well, I'm a huge fan of of sort of '80s comedy and and it's sort of '80s comedy that seems to like encapsulate the period. I mean, I. I you know, I still think of movies like License to Drive. I'm the, I'm the biggest fan of uh, Back to School of anyone I know. You know, uh, I love that stuff. But you're right. This this has a lot of that vibe, but it, it works at a much higher level. It, it doesn't get drugged down by the slow scenes. And it also doesn't have that kind of like squeamish. Oh, yeah, that hasn't aged well kind of. Yeah. I'm a, you know, the other interesting thing is why did this sit on the shelf for like two years? You know, you can sort of see like from an objective point of view, the plot has problems. These are unlikable, you know, Mm -hmm. dumb guys, you know, neither of them have, you know, any bank, uh, you know, Rufus is not going to carry the movie. Um, but it's funny that somebody looked at this and said, This is such a, you know, cluster F that Mm -hmm. I'm not even sure how we can release this. (laughs) And and now here we are watching it saying, you know, this is actually a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you give it then? Uh, So I gave it an eight. I I gave it a 7.5. Yeah. Well, so you gave it in. So yours, your highest so far is uh, Quatermass, yeah. and Godzilla and Bill and Ted are both tied at uh, just under that. And my highest so far is Bill and Ted, with Godzilla just under. We've got some biggies coming up, so we, sh- we shall see. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, uh, speaking of biggies that you know are definitely going to blow our rating system apart. <laughs> right up is next is Mars Attacks. I mean. Uh, a cinematic classic, if ever there were one. This one's really weird because this was sort of like you know, what, there are two films and they came quite close. There's been two films um, as of the recording of this episode where we've had 
feedback from online where people have gone, I'm not sure I agree with what you've said. <laughs> and it's been quite sort of divisive. Um, I enjoy Mars Attacks, but I fully understand and appreciate that it's not good. You know what I mean? And, but yeah. again, is it a film you have to meet on its own terms? Is this Tim Burton's Ed Wood movie? Like, Are you supposed to watch this in tandem with his film Ed Wood? Um, you know, there's that sort of mentality with it as well. Um, it's, 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 you know, this is a good, I think this film's fun, but I'm not, it's, again, having watched it and talked about it, I'm like, yeah, I'm probably not going to go back to it for a long time now. I'm not sure. Um, what about you? Yeah, I sort of feel the same way. I do think it's something you have to meet on its own terms. I mean, mm. I do think it is, you know, that a, <laughs> I mean, I think it's amazing that, you know, what was the pitch for this, right? Like, you know, I mean, it's not like those cards were, the tops cards were, uh, you know, uh, still beloved. I mean, they were in certain quarters, but I mean, it's not like kids of 1996 were collecting Mars Attacks cards. Um, you know, w- what was the pitch for this? It was just Burton. It was just Burton's hot off Batman. You know, give me the equivalent of today, $200 million, you know, uh, I mean, a big budget at the time. Uh, and I'm going to make a movie that is deliberately bad. <laughs> yeah. like, I mean, that's so crazy. But I mean, I do love it. I do think that obviously, it, I, mean, it, I mean, to even say it has plot problems is itself problematic because it wants to have pro- plot problems. And, and yeah. what I love about it, you know, one of the things that I always loved about it as a writer was just how willing it was to make those mistakes and to, you know, just go off on another direction, which I think in some ways has been with with sort of premium t- TV has been sort of revived. And now that's been done seriously and done mm-hmm. well. And so you have shows that just, you know, kill somebody off or kill off the main character or or take a, a hard left turn, um, you know, at the end of a season or something. Um, well, the thing is, th- this is more akin to like a disaster movie, isn't it? Like it's got, here's your cast, and then we're going to work through this cast, you know, like Tower and Inferno or, you know, the Poseidon Adventure. You're going to have this cast and we're going to work through it. And you get their individual stories. But the weirdness of this film is like, like you say, people just get arbitrarily killed off. You know, oh, you're going to follow the- <laughs> You're going to follow this character. Nope. And then you get, then we're going to bring in uh, Tom Jones, uh, Diane DeVito character, like halfway through. Um, and then all of a sudden, sort of like two kids that were sort of shown at the beginning of the film become important for all of like three minutes. And then we're going to move off from that. Like, like you say, it, it's all done on its own terms. And I kind of like it for that um, because it's so silly and so absurd. And the fact you, like, you, you know, like you say, towards the end, you're like, is that? No, that, that, that is Tom Jones. And, mm-hmm. you know, this big guy's about to have a boxing match with an alien. All right. <laughs> Fine. Yeah. Um, there, there are things that work better than others. I mean, I mm. think the Tom Jones, I think the boxing match stuff, I think those are, are weaker. I think this, the stuff that I, the stuff that sticks with me, obviously the president, you know, I mean, yeah. Jack Nicholson stuff. I mean, he seals the show. Uh, and I also love the sort of, I mean, this got me into the tops cards. This got mm. me into the um the dinosaurs attack cards mm. um the joy of just rolling a giant ball to knock over you know the uh, <laughs> easter island heads. heads yeah i yeah. mean 
the joy of the the uh, Washington Monument, um, and that was so much of the joy of those cards, and that has stuck with me. And I think the sort of um, you know sort of yeah do whatever uh, as long as it's fun, you know, hmm, audiences will forgive you, and you'll probably be more pleased with yourself that you just made something that you love yeah. and you know let other people like it or not i do love that philosophy of this movie i i, I wish it did more of what you said and and mm-hmm. sort of that's the thing like you know if it really went for it on certain aspects and like i said the easter island heads and there's some really good bits in it of that where it's just sort of like and now this is happening and then this is happening and as you say jack nicholson is great better as the president than he is of the casino developer like you know oh yeah um but then it comes to that ending where the ending how you know it's that sort of this is how we defeat them um and it's fine it does its thing but there's better ways. i definitely think there's better ways that they could have done it and stuff um so this film this film works better as a sketch show Mm-hmm. And as I, I think, as we said in the show, like this, this if you were going to do anything like this, it would work better as sort of like you know, animated shorts or something of just mm-hmm. going like, yeah, Mars attacks. Here's them attacking a bunch of cows and being then being chased off by a farmer or whatever. Um, so it it, it 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 does what it does. You we say about it being Tim Burton and the period it came out, and it sort of struck me as he had been hot off Batman and he'd done some other stuff, and then he was obviously given Superman Lives. Mm-hmm. And then that died off. And I almost get the feeling like this was almost... I've got to check if it comes from the same people. I think it does. Was it like, look, we owe him a film? (laughs) (laughs) Just give him something. (laughs) Um, And he was like, really? All right. (laughs) We've got this this budget left over from Superman Lives. (laughs) Have that. (laughs) Go do something with it. Um, Well, I think this this and... Now, I think when you look back, I mean, he obviously his first, you know, full full film was Pee Wee's Big Adventure, which mm-hmm. just does gonzo well. And it's just an amazing movie. Right. Like that has no business being <laughs> a good movie at all. And it's just amazing from start to finish. And, you know, he goes into Beetlejuice and Beetlejuice. Again, this is not an established franchise. It's just amazing. They give him Batman. None of his choices on Batman are the choices that, you know, (laughs) that anybody would have made. Certainly not that the studio would have made. And I mean, everybody was scared of doing, you know, putting money into a dark version of Batman. Mm. And that did even bigger box office. And then he goes off and does Edward Scissorhands again. You know, yeah, it's got Johnny Depp and Winona Ryder, but, you know, a, a weird movie not based on anything and a, you know, a big success commercially, beautiful, artistically <coughs> Batman returns, you know, mm. success. And it's like, okay, look, let's throw money at this guy. <laughs> you yeah. know? Like this guy's track record is just, it's, it's, it's like there are certain periods where, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Hudson Hawk. Mm, oh, I love Hudson, Hudson Hawk would never have been made if it weren't for Bruce Willis having a, batting you know a thousand Mm. track record you know there's no way that movie gets made there's no way mars attacks get made (laughs) if burton had anything under batting a thousand you know where you just say i don't understand it but it's burton so go for it i can imagine that being a meeting someone's i didn't understand edward's hands either so it must but that made money someone must like it go for it 
Yeah. Well, that's so that, how, what, you know, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen got made. You know, that's, uh, yeah. you know, how you just say, well, well, I didn't understand. You know, that's what, uh, what's his name who died recently? Um, Sean Connery. Yeah, that's what he said. Like, oh, well, I didn't, I took this script because I didn't understand it. And I'd been offered the Matrix and I didn't understand that either. You yeah. know, and, and clearly I'm missing out on these billion dollar movies. So I'm just going to take the next script I don't understand. Yeah, he really chose the wrong one there, didn't he? To be honest. Yeah, for sure. So what do you give Mars Attacks? I gave it a six. Me too. Yeah. We're on the same page. It's definitely good. This one, the next one, though, we'll jump forward to 2002's Minority Report. I suspect we'll split more on this. Well, this one has been has sat with me mm. since we've talked about it. And it went out recently. Uh, as of the record, recording of this episode, and it's caused a bit of controversy. Some people said we were nitpicky. Uh, so uh, the guys at Nerds Chatting came back and were like, um, uh, you know, well, it's more of a dick, it's more of a Philip K. Dick film because cl- clearly everything that happens after he's arrested is in his head. And I was like, mm, I can see where you're going because it's a Philip K. Dick film, and that's you know, it's it fits into that Total Recall model and all that sort of stuff. But I was like. My push back was I can't accept that because nothing previous in the film has indicated, mm-hmm. you know, there's been no exposition to say about what happens when they're in the farm and, you know, that's how it'll work and all this other stuff. Um, or even that there's a potential chance of that. Um, and also this is Spielberg and mm-hmm. Spielberg, Spielberg doesn't do that. <laughs> you know, if you read Jurassic Park, spoilers, if you read Jurassic Park, the novel, the ending of that, John Hammond and a few others don't make it. But you watch the film, it's it's a very sort of different ending. Like, you know, he likes his Spielberg likes a certain model. And I think that's the thing with this film. It's sort of it's trying to be it's a Philip K. Dick film. I can see the I can see the pitch for this. It's Philip K. Dick, Steven Spielberg, Tom Cruise. Yeah. That I would say yes. Even now, I'd still probably say yes. But watching it back now, watching it this time, like I watched this and have just gone, it's a good action adventure film. And it is, it's good fun. It, there's some good fun bits in this. There's some good scenes, some good action. But watching it critically, I was like, this film doesn't quite work. Yeah. At, at every step, there's something that just doesn't quite work. And it's, uh, you know, is it that Spielberg was the wrong person to direct this? Probably. Was Cruz the wrong person to pin it? No, I'm not, I wouldn't say so. You know, it, it it just doesn't. I don't think Dick and Spielberg fit mm. as they should, and that's what I think was the problem. But anyway, having said that, what what are your thoughts? No, I think that's a very good point. I I would tend to agree. I mean, I love Spielberg. I love Philip K. Dick. I don't know that. I mean, I think that this epitomizes for me the problems that Hollywood has had adapting Philip K. Dick. Mm. Um, that point about Total Recall. You know, and it's sort of like it's all in their head. Uh, that works in Total Recall. Total Recall just doesn't even make sense if that's not the case. Yeah. Um, it, it really telegraphs that. It lets you know this is that is just not there in Minority Report for me. Mm. Um, and I think that that, you know, what you're saying about Spielberg really epitomizes that problem that Philip K. Dick novels are. essentially unfilmable at least for a commercial audience 
They don't yes. have likable heroes. They don't. And 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 I'm annoyed by Tom Cruise in this movie. I'm annoyed by. I think he does a a, a fine job, but I'm annoyed by how likable he is. I'm annoyed by how you know much of a sort of like a- unexpected action hero the scientist is. I think that it's interesting to me that when I saw this, uh, when this came out in 2002, and I'm a huge Spielberg fan, huge you know Philip K. Dick fan, I. I thought this was better than I currently think it is. Mm-hmm. And I thought this mm. was kind of like in not necessarily the pantheon, but in sort of like a short list of, you know, maybe 25 best sci-fi movies. And now I think that's crazy. You know, it's 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 OK. It's a fun romp. You know, it's it's a movie that you have to see. It's It's had a lot of influence, you know, mm-hmm. the sort of. I mean, the whole, you know, precog thing, I mean, pre-crime, the whole pulling, you know, the interface of Tom Cruise. And that's all Spielberg. And that's brilliant. Mm. All of that, even visually, this has had a lot of influence. And yet, I don't think it holds up as well as I would have thought. No, I agree. I think, you know, aesthetically, like you say, the the influences of this are, are all over. Like, you know, you from any other dystopian sci-fi film made after this, all the way through to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like, Tony Stark does the same shit now. So, you know, it's there. Um, However, one of the things, again, that I sort of see with this film is Cruise is good. I think Cruise is good in this film, but he's good in this film. (laughs) Is he he good, as as you say, as a Philip K. Dick protagonist? Yeah, he's too, you know, he's that square jawed sort of like Hollywood smile. Like, you know, I, I won't, you know, yes, is he a weird dude in real life? Yeah, no doubt. Like, you know, clearly, you know, not all there. But I love the Mission Impossible films. And I love the fact he's willing to put his life on the line to do them. Like, he's clearly nuts. But in this film, like, you know, if you take it as an action adventure, yeah, there's some good bits. But then all of a sudden, Tom Cruise, uh, sorry, Spielberg seems to intercede and go, well, actually, I wanted to do this and I wanted to do that. So you go, we've got this, we've got this sort of bit that's quite harrowing, you know, where we've got the little spidery things. He's got, he can't see because he's got his eyes covered and he's got to hold himself underwater. And it's that whole scene of them looking for him is really cool. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, but I've got to keep my eyes. And then we're going to have a jokey scene of his eyes rolling down a corridor and him chasing them. And I'm just like, it's, what I should have thought, what I should have realized is this was an indicator of what Crystal Skull was going to be. <laughs> it's true, though, isn't it? Because then again, then you get the sort of like, okay, then we're going to go for the darker sort of like, here's the conspiracy and there's all this other stuff. And he killed this woman using this precog setup. But then we're going to have this whole sort of like family moment of, you know, um, what Tom Cruise's son could have had if he'd have grown up in this house. And then again, I'm like, it's touching and it's done well. It's very Spielberg. But what are you making at this point? Like, what film are you making? I'm not sure anymore. Uh, and that's sort of like I say, I don't think it's dated as well as, uh, well, for, at least for me, as you know, if you like it, great. But I just don't Amen. think it's aged as well. Yeah. If you like it, you win, right? I yeah, mean, exactly. You know, yeah. If, if you, I'm happy anytime somebody enjoys a movie, especially a sci fi movie. And more than that, especially a Philip K. Dick movie and a Spielberg movie. Um, you know, more power to you. I I liked your point about these comedic intrusions, which mm. I, you know, had had 
objected to or or just ignored on a case-by-case basis, but hadn't seen that as sort of like a formula that Spielberg sort of defaults into over and over again in this movie. And I think it's interesting that he he has done that in prior movies. Mm. I mean, the, the old Indiana Jones movies do that, um, but they work. Whereas here, it just feels like a little more forced. And I don't know if a different actor would have had, had a, you know, one thing about Cruz is that outside of Magnolia, his characters don't seem very able to poke fun at themselves. Yeah. You know, Indiana Jones, you know, falls on his face often enough that, you know, you you respect him, but you know he's going to, you know, fall on his face a little. And he's wrong about things now and then. Uh, Cruz doesn't like to play characters who are wrong about things. No. And that's the thing, like you say, like. Cruz doesn't do comedy well, mm. which is why in the Mission Impossible films, he's the action star and you then have Simon Pegg or, you know, even like Ving Rhames or uh, who they've other brought other people in that have actually got some comedy timing. So they're like, yeah, they're the humorous ones. <laughs> They'll do that. You do this. And I think that's the problem with this film. Again, like we said, go back to casting. If you had someone of that ilk that could do a bit of humor and was able to poke fun at themselves, but could carry that intensity in the other scenes. And it would feel more of a transition of character rather than an, an awkward comedy scene. You know, I think this film would work better. Um, but again, that's, but I also think that's Spielberg's fault because he, he didn't hire that person. He hired Tom Cruise. And mm-hmm. so you go, well, I've now got Tom Cruise. I've seen this film. This comedy bit doesn't really work. So we need to think of another way of doing it. And he doesn't, you know, so which I'd say is a failing of Spielberg when making the film, not wholly on Cruise's shoulders of his inability to do it. Yeah, I think that's true. And, you know, I guess the retort would be like, well, if it weren't Cruise, it would not have been able to get made. You know? And, yes, true. Um, so we got what we got. Um, but yeah, I mean, the precog thing is good. The aesthetics are good. I mean, in, I think this compares disfavorably on almost every level to total recall. Yes. Agreed. So I gave it a six. I gave it a five and a half, 5.5. Cause there is, there is a good bit in it. Oh yeah. Anyway. So having, Ripped Your... into Minority Reports. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a film that made money. Um, I'm now going to try and def- like talk about John Carter, a film that didn't make money. Um, uh, so 2012's John Carter, or John Carter of Mars, or Princess of Mars, or whatever the hell you want to talk, call it. Um, th- this was obviously one of my ads to the list, and it's a it's a bit of a sort of... You know, it's, it's not in my top 10 or top 20 films out of all time, but it's one of those films that I... I really enjoy and um, never really understand why it gets the panning that it did. Um, and think it's a shame that it did, but it, you know, again, this is one of those films that sort of, I think I just said the film could do with being shorter, but there's so much in this film that I really enjoy. And, you know, it's, it's an absolute feast to look at. Um, most of the cast are really good. Um, it's, it tells a good Old, literal old-fashioned adventure story um 
yeah, I, you know, there's there's not much I can really sort of overall fault with this film. But what what are your what were your thoughts? I think this movie is a lot better than people give it credit for. I think mm. that there are sequences that uh, that I think are are really quite good. I, I think there are choices and there are other sequences and, and oddities that, that aren't good, but that, that's true of everything on this list. I think that, you know, the number one problem that it has is that, you know, it's not as... I, I'm going to say two things. I mean, one is that I don't know what you think of when you think back on this, right? Mm. Like, you know, what sticks with you? Like, we're talking about Videodrome. There's lots of stuff that sticks with me. I don't remember the plot, right? Mm. I mean, uh, you know, the stuff in Mars Attacks that annoys me, I don't remember. I just remember the good stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that was charming. You know, John Carter, I mean, I have to strain my memory to kind of imagine him sort of like jumping when he first arrives on Mars. And even that is a, you know, like it's clever. It's a clever little bit. It's not perfect. Um you know, I like the sort of like uh, waters and kind of going to that temple thing, but it's not really important. It's just a sort of like visual, but it's not a visual that sticks with me the same way like a videotape going into somebody's stomach does. Mm. Um, and 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 I guess the, the second point that I'd make is that I don't know that like, you know, it's an unfair comparison, but I mean, if Bill and Ted is like, or Back to the Future or whatever, is, is sort of like, I am with these characters, I am immersed in this movie. Um, Godzilla probably doesn't doesn't get there. I mean, you're amazed at what you're seeing, but you don't feel necessarily immersed in that movie. Mm. I mean, Barbarella, Rocky Horror, Videodrome, Transformers, Bill and Ted, all of those, I am just immersed in that movie. I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. I'm amazed by what I'm seeing, and I'm just... It has taken me along for the ride. John Carter, I feel like, yeah, this is good. This is fine. You know? <laughs> you know, It's like the opposite of the cartoon of the, the guy with uh, the flames behind him going, this is mm. fine. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it, it's not a flame. It's just like, you know, this is, this is fine. This is a lot more solid than, than people expected, and I, I wonder if he will do X or Y, uh, but I'm just not on a roller coaster in the same way. I don't know what your thoughts are about those. No, no, you, you're right, and you know we've picked on plot and stuff in that in the past, and that, and I, I agree. The plot on this is so overly complex and and unnecessarily so. Like you could remove a layer of the plot, remove Mark Strong and that mm -hmm. whole element from this plot. And the you know there are ways of doing it, and this film becomes about twenty minutes shorter, and would be a hell of a lot stronger. Uh, you know, make it more linear, make it more straightforward. Um, but I don't know. There's just something about this film that I enjoy that sort of like it's just that. It's that pulpiness that sort of you know, like you say, I know the plot, and I can I've 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 taken pains to try and understand the plot. But I can also sit back and, like you say, and I, I just like that it is a um, just that sort of Earthling in a in a on a different planet, in that sort of in that sort of like Flash Gordon, uh, Buck Rogers kind of way. That it's sort of like fish out of water. It's going to be silly, but it's just so pulpy in in the best possible way. I mean, there, there is nothing 
this film doesn't deserve the budget it gets. It doesn't deserve the the you know, um, and I I just completely understand that. Th- this film's like a Domino's pizza. In in that like you know, it's probably bigger than it should be. You know, it's it's a bit greasy and doesn't you know you don't you don't really need everything that's on it. But you know what? I'm gonna bloody enjoy it all. <laughs> <laughs> And that's that's it. That's all it is. Like I say, it's it's it is kind of forgettable. I acknowledge that. Um, but there are still scenes that sort of stick with me. Like you said, the, the jump in at the beginning. Uh, I like. I for some reason I'm just kind of taken with Willem Dafoe as um, Tars Tarkin, and um, I like. You know, there's a scene where he where Car- John Carter jumps into the middle of that brawl and he's just stood there like swirling the swords around and fighting off all the other sort of. Uh, the aliens, and then there's just there's bits and pieces in it that just work for me in that moment. As a whole, is it a great film? No, like this film, no no one's going to ever revisit this and say it's a masterpiece. It may become a cult classic, like it may get discovered in like five ten years, when, or even with Disney Plus, people might come across it and go, "Oh, Jim, that John Carter, that was pretty good. That was." Um, I just yeah, it it sort of. It's clear it's going to tap into what was coming with, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and all that kind of stuff. It wanted to be, or Disney wanted it to be that. And when it didn't work, they went, let's go buy up something that already has, (laughs) (laughs) that already works. And they bought bought Star Wars. Um, But um, it's it's clear that's what they were going for. I just think they tried to run before they could walk in this case. Um, And I, I just find it an enjoyable flop. It's an enjoyable failure. Yeah, I mean, I think you find it more enjoyable than I do, but I, I do agree that it is uh, underrated, and I do think that time will improve that rating. And I do think that, you know, so much of what you like about it is, you know, uh, again and again, what I'm hearing is they need to adapt this. And I mm. love, you know, it is a pulpy story. I love the, you know, I mean, I, I'm a fan of planetary romance. You know, I I love that they're doing this. And I think that there is a better version of John Carter that you Mm. deserve and that the material deserves. Um, This is what we have. It's not as bad as people think. But if if anything, you know, if, if more people see it and more people are aware of the fact that this is a property that deserves attention and deserves a, uh, a version that is is maybe, you know, more unapologetically pulpy, you know, mm. um, and embraces those things just a little more, um, then uh, I'll be happy. Uh, yeah, so you could do this on TV. You could follow up some of the stuff that's come recently and do some a real, you know, really pulpy go for it kind of thing. And people would probably just really eat it up now. Sure. Um, but yeah, what, so what did you give it then? Uh, I gave it a five. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah that's fair. <laughs> no, that's fair. I, mean, I gave it. A, I, I gave it a six and a half. Okay. Um, I sort of oscillated between like a five and a five and a half. Mm. You know, I thought, you know, I can't give it a six. I don't think it's as good as Minority Report. Uh, but uh, well, you gave it one higher than Minority Report. Yeah, something bothers me about Minority Report now. It's, it's, <laughs> I, I think because I've sort of like, you know, I, I may have to go back and watch it at some point, but something tells me I want to go back and watch Total Recall more. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's that thing where I've got, could I watch my, my novice report? Yeah, I could, but I could also watch my, my I could also go back and watch Total Recall, which is a better film. Totally agreed. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, another one where you what you've just said about adaptation and deserving, like you know, deserving a wider audience, is definitely true of this this next film. Again, like, this is uh, was one of my picks, but I think we both hold this in quite hard regard. Is twenty uh, twelve's Dread. And obviously, I'm working on the Dread book at the moment. They're all, the essays are all coming together, so I'm I'm immersed in the the Dread verse at the moment. But th- this film has got issues, you know, in parts. But it, it's so so good. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> uh, so the problem with this movie is, again, it, it's sort of like, what do you take away from it? Like it is, it is so well done. It is well casted. I mean, when have I ever reviewed a movie here where I where I've said I basically have like three gripes and yeah. they're pretty minor, you know? <laughs> and I acknowledge they're pretty minor. Um, there's not a lot to improve here, and yet it not only was it not a hit, but it's like, what do you take away from this movie? Mm. What is this about? And I and I think it's a it's a brilliant depiction of sort of you know Anderson's first day on the job. Um, obviously, the sort of like slow mo sequences. You know, you pointed out they used them in the trailer. People are you know I remember you know uh, the villain's death. That was the number one thing that I took away from mm. uh, remembering. Um, I I remember the the tower and the block and the, you know, middle uh, sequence with the sort of Gatling gun uh, demolishing. But, you know, I don't there's a lot that I don't remember. I remember the general plot, Mm. but I don't you know, there's not a lot of scenes. So, I mean, I feel like there's almost nothing to improve here. And I think, as you said, the sort of the thing that stuck with me about doing that as an episode was you saying I don't know anyone who's seen this who doesn't like it. And I think that is dead on. Everybody who sees this enjoys it. There's almost nothing to be improved. We've got a few quibbles, maybe one major one and a couple small ones, um, you know, or, or two major ones and one small one. But that's pretty great. And yeah. yet, you know, I, I mean, it's just not... It's a, it's a great movie. I it not only was it not a huge success, but I don't know that it becomes iconic as much as I want it to. It's a weird. This, this film's got a weird history. I mean, the the two things I would say for me, like you know, you say there's this, it's there's not much to improve upon. There isn't. If I was to take this film as a pilot episode for a franchise, it's it's exactly what it should have been. You know, this is perfect. It's like I'm going to introduce his character. Here's how badass he is. Like this whole film is almost like the cold open to a James Bond film. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, here's a side mission that's awesome and shows you how brilliant the character in the world is. Now we're going to show you the bigger adventure. Like that's what this should have been. It should have been a, a do- you know a door creaking open, and then it took us into Mega City One in the wider world. Mm-hmm. I think that you know. Uh, there was a marketing problem. I think the problem was again. It was sort of it came out at a time when I think they were looking at more positive hero and superhero models. Mm. So to have a character come out and go, "Here's your hero. What is he? He's a fascist police state cop." <laughs> <laughs> 
what does he do? He kills people. <laughs> and you're like, oh, right. Is it Robocop? No, because this isn't funny. <laughs> and you're sort of like... <laughs> so I think there was some issues, you know, like I didn't, I don't think they knew how to market it. I didn't know what... And, and people, when it first came out, didn't know how to take it. Anyone who likes Dread loves this film. There was a real push for when this film came out, and I think it was even five years later. I've got two copies of this film because I got it when it first came out, and then there was a thing of, like, I think it was several years after. Um, when was it? No, the 40th anniversary of... So it was 2017. So the 40th anniversary of 2000 AD. Everyone out... There was, this went back to the top of Amazon's purchase chart. Is it every wow. sod went out and bought it again? <laughs> That's why I had two copies. Um, and so, you know, there's a, there is a passionate subculture or subgroup really that really enjoys this film. Um, but it needs more, like it deserved more. And the fact that, like, Carl Urban has even said repeatedly, like, yeah, I know, I'd, you know, he's like, with it, without, without a shadow of doubt, I'd put the helmet back on. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't, no, there's no quibbles about that. And, I, and the, even the director's like, no, no, I'd go back. Alex Garland has even said, like, yeah, I'd, I'd go back and do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the opportunities are there. It's just, it's just for some reason, dread and having done the book and work at the moment, like you can see, dread doesn't translate to wider audiences because at this point in time, especially now, like if you were to release dread now, I think they'd be like, oh, tone deaf, not sure how to pro- process that. Sort of like you know police brutality. It's a you know it can be seen as a sort of a, a an alt rights, you know fantasy world and all this other stuff. Like it, it carries, but then you go no no it's a satire of that, and maybe they need to crank up that satire. And I think that was one of the things yeah. we said that this needs to this needs to be closer to RoboCop. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. RoboCop clearly took a lot from and it admits it. Even um, the guy who wrote. Um, Robocop admits it. Um, you know, if they just cranked up that satire a bit more and a bit on the dark humour, this would I think this would have been a lot more successful. And would yeah, have been seen not, maybe as not a... out of sync with the comics. I think no, your, no, your, totally. your plans for your pitches for the uh, the trailers were really brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, it's interesting what you say about sort of the the time in which it came out, because this is twenty twelve. Uh curiously, we've done three was it three movies from twenty twelve? Or, yeah, three. John Carter came out. Yeah, yeah, and then Looper last season. So yeah. 2012 was apparently, you know, uh, a huge year so far for us. But um, you know, this came out. A big thing was after those Marvel movies had come out. Mm. So you know, you were talking about John Carter as you know, obviously came out as sort of Disney trying to capture that magic of. The you know Marvel transforming junk like Iron Man into box office gold you know, yeah. um, and you know the Avengers nobody wanted the Avengers you know that was 2012 as well right so so at this point you know I mean you've had like the Fantastic Four all the stuff that inspired Marvel to take a shot at that the early Marvel stuff has come out it's been successful enough that they've given the big budget to you know the mm. you know first phase plan and avengers you know is coming so we're in the middle of this sort of like huge upswing into kind of a return to dumb positive optimism mm-hmm. you know like those are dumb characters those are dumb movies i hate to say you know i i like them a lot some of them but they're not about things they're not trying yeah. to be about things 
their, you know, popcorn. And, you know, the likable American, you know, uh, white guy punching some aliens and, you know, blowing some shit up. And, you know, it's a, it's a sort of like almost Reagan-like, uh, you know, mm. we're not going to apologize for, for fun action movies anymore, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and Dread did seem very dark. And, yeah. you know, there was this full, even in comics at the time, this full-on, like, repudiation of revisionism, this full-on, you know, equivocation between anything that was serious and just darkness for darkness' sake. And there was this real hostility toward anything that was perceived as dark. And I think it came out at the wrong time. And I think you're right that today you'd have to have more overt fascism, right? You'd yes. have to be more aware of what you're doing in the context of Black Lives Matter. But there's more room now for dark stuff again um, in a way that I just don't think there was at the cinema in 2012. No, I agree. Weirdly, and I, I, you've just said, there was, I think, is it called the Sekhmet theory? Grant Morrison's chatted on about before. Like, there's an 11-year cycle oh, of yeah. positive and negative. And I was thinking, like, if this had come out 10 years earlier, like, it wouldn't have happened because you'd have had the, you had the Judge Dredd, the Stallone um, pile that come out in 95. <laughs> but if this had come out 10 years ago, if this had come out in 2002, that would have been perfect. You know, you'd have had, like, you were having, like, The Matrix, you had, it was a bit, mm -hmm. you know, the, the new millennium and all this other stuff. Like, this mm -hmm. film would have done really well in 2002. It would probably do well now. Like, say if it came out now and it was done, like, you racketed up the, 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 the satire and some other bits, like, you would probably do it. You, it would mm -hmm. work. Um... Yeah, it just came out at the wrong time. I just think it's a real shame because I'm hoping against hope. I mean, you know, I forget who owns, who owns the distribution for this, but like, this is the kind of film that forget the 3D. The 3D was a gimmick, and it's an absolute bleeding waste of time. It was there for the cinema. They did it on the D, on the Blu-ray, but it, it's no one has a 3D TV anymore. But, <laughs> yeah, and if you if you still have, well done because everyone has <laughs> been there. Um, but. Forget that that gimmick. Stick with what it does. And I would like someone like Arrow or Scream Factory or one of those to go, do you know what? Here's a fully loaded version of this film. Like We're going to give you the film, all these special features. We're probably going to double it up with Future Shocks, the 2000 AD documentary. Get it out there. And you get all these people that, that collect these boutique DVD, Blu-rays and all this physical media. It would probably do be better business now through mm -hmm. one of those than it did in its original distribution. So I'd love to see that. So Arrow, if you're listening, I'm, I'm, I'm all game for that. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. Scott, you are a man of good ideas. Um, you know, I would say, you know, I kept thinking as far as like the timing goes of Batman Begins. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, the fear when Batman Begins came out, and that's 2005, um, you know, was that it was too close to Batman and Robin. You know, mm -hmm. uh, it was too close to the campy stuff. Will people accept it? And it's even darker again than, you know, Burton. There was room at the theater for that. Mm -hmm. um, it, did, it didn't do, you know, Gonzo, but it did well enough that you could do, you know, a sequel. If this, if Dread had come out in that period, you know, from, I mean, from 2005 to, you know, Dark Knight, which is, I guess, 2008 or so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and then Rise, well, maybe a little later. I mean, but then Rise was came out 
which I don't like, but it came out in 2012. So mm. 2012, we're at the tail end of mm. the Nolan Batman trilogy, where I think as a first film, Dread probably, and I'm somebody who wrote a book on Batman Begins, Dread <laughs> probably compares favorably as the first film of a franchise. It mm. came out seven years later. It probably was impossible without Batman Begins, mm-hmm. sort of making room for that smaller story. Dread is an even smaller story than Batman Begins. And I think that as a post-Batman Begins, you know, launching of another franchise comic character, it would have worked brilliantly in 2008. It, yeah. You know, in that period, by 2012, it was just maybe three years too late. I mean, mm. it's amazing how close this could have been to, because every you're right, everybody loves this movie. Everybody yeah. enjoys this. Maybe, yeah. Maybe it'll get a second life. I do think this will become one of those films that people will go back and go, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of examples, but like Blade Runner sort of thing, you know, Blade Runner's one of those films that like flopped and for a big part of the eighties, everyone was like, Oh, that film, you know, I know some people like it, but it's grown in prestige over the years to the mm-hmm. extent that you get 2049 coming out, you know, 30 years later. So maybe, maybe we shall see, but I definitely well, think it needs a loaded version. At some point. And, and people will be watching this. If nothing else, this is one of the best comics adaptations ever made. Yes. And people will be watching this in 20, 30 years, no problem. So mm. what did you rate Dread? 8.5. Wow. I gave it an 8. Mm. Yeah. It, it stands up. It's one of those films I will watch. I, def- I will always go back to this film. I love this film. Okay. Other end of the spectrum. <laughs> so... <laughs> We we we're ready for the film that's going to reset the entire margin that we've <laughs> yeah. made. Yeah. A perfect ten. <laughs> Valerian <laughs> and the Valerian. City of a Thousand Planets. Well, um, we just recorded the the episode for this, but I, I think we were divided a little. We, we were, and something I watched something. Uh, in well, I was I was going through our list for the next season and we'll get to it mm-hmm. and there's a film in that list which you know i think we'll come into sort of like it comes into that sort of like not as much gonzo but the weirdness factor and this other stuff that you sort of tapped into with this film like this film does these things because um and one of the things that this film does that valerian does that this other film does and i'll mention it is um you sort of come into the characters fully formed like Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets is almost like the, th- the it's almost like the second or third film mm-hmm. in a series, and the film I'm thinking about is Buckaroo Banzai. So I'm not going to spoil anything in that because I, I do love that film, but it's against the same thing. So I thought, and again I got to thinking, okay, so am I meeting this film on the right terms? Am I coming in too harsh? So I went back and I watched the trailer, and again I watched um, just some little bits and segments of it, and I flicked through it, and I thought, okay, no, I'm not. I'm not. And it, it still comes down to the same problem I had before. Dane DeHaan and <laughs> Cara Delevingne are good actors. And they, are, they are good at what they do, and I've seen them in other things where they're fine. They are just so, so wrong for this that it sort of sets the whole film off on this weird kilter that I cannot jive with at all. But the, there are still moments in this film. The first 15 minutes of this film are awesome. Yeah, and I, I will not dispute that. I, I agree, but then it goes off on this weird thing that I'm just like, <laughs> I, doesn't make any sense to me. 
Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I keep coming back to like, I, I love that you did that sort of reevaluation, right? Yeah. Like, you know, am I meeting this on its own terms? I think you're right. I think you are being fair to this. And I think that everything you pointed out is there. Certainly the, the casting problems are there. I mean, structurally, this movie has problems mm. just structurally in terms of its worldview. There's tons of stuff that is just, you know, inconsistent. You're irradiating stuff to help it. I mean, <laughs> that whole action, you know, sequence at the beginning is both awesome and incredible in the desert and also nonsensical. Um, and it does it does remind me of, you know, sort of like a, you know, Star Wars on acid, mm -hmm. you know, uh, a, a French guy making Star Wars on acid, you know, where it's like you're just coming at it a little askew to begin with and then you're taking acid yeah. and i mean i obviously i love it um but i love it as a flawed uh, train wreck but a train wreck that is filled with stuff that blows my mind and is so sometimes ill-conceived you know i mean the, the the jellyfish going on the head it's like you know who 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 gave him money to do this? Who thought that was going to be a good idea? You know, I mean, to make a point that your your model actress is, you know, sticking her head up the jellyfish's ass. You know, like, you know, what what is going on here? And yet it's it's trippy. It's 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 bizarre. And I think that I obviously have more room than I thought for looking back on Barbarella, Rocky, Videodrome. Mm. Um, I have more room than I normally would think for things that are wildly inconsistent, even messes, but have uh, wonderful kind of memorable stuff. And I will say, um, I remember stuff from this movie. I don't remember. The, I mean, I remember the gist of the plot, right? The same mm -hmm. way I remember the gist of Dread. Dread's a better movie. I mean, it's much better put together. But, I mean, I remember that first 15 minutes, shot for shot. Just, mm. you know, I mean, that sticks in my head. I remember, I don't even necessarily remember the jellyfish, but I remember crazy ideas. I remember, you know, that that ending. I remember, you know, uh, just crazy ideas and crazy visuals along the way. And I think, you know, obviously I have more room for just kind of inconsistent messes that I remember <laughs> certain things really fondly. Well, it, it is. There, there are some good visuals in this. And like you said, there's some good moments. That whole thing in the desert, uh, the, the interdimensional market is a great idea. Like I love it as an idea and it should work. And that's the thing I keep coming to him. when I was sort of flicking through it, I was like every little section I watched, I was like, this should work. Why don't I get on with it? What is and, you know, so and I kept thinking, I thought the same thing, and I, um, I went back to think about sort of like you know the Barbarellas and the Rocky Horror and even Videodrome, but then I also thought, and I mentioned on the show, Baron Munchausen, you know, the Terry Gilliam film, and there's others, even Mars Attacks has that sort of like absurdist approach to things, and all I kept thinking was, and it's it's, it's what, why am I more invested in them than I am in this? And I kept thinking, well, I do enjoy some of this. There are moments in this that are really good. So what's my problem? And it, I can't get past the fact that I need mm -hmm. someone to take me on that journey in the film. Like, 
Rocky Horror wouldn't, and same with Bill and Ted. Like you know, Rocky Horror. If 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 Tim Curry was awful in that film, or was miscast, that film just wouldn't work. You know, the chemistry starts to fall apart. The the sort of like the the um, the the balance of it sort of fails. And the same with like Videodrome. You say about James Woods being sleazy and all this other stuff. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, but if you had like say if you. I don't know if you chose Christopher Reeve to play that character. You know, like, well, yeah, it would be a completely different film. It just wouldn't work. It would just feel too clean cut and too wrong, and it would it wouldn't work. And the same with Bill and Ted. Like that film, there's parts of that film that make no sense, but you're on board with it because of Bill and Ted. So you're like, yeah, yeah. of course, I'm going to follow Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves on this. You know, they're funny. They they've got great timing. They they their chemistry works. I believe that these two guys are best friends and have been since kindergarten. Like I'm, I'm on board with that. The moment this film loses me is there's a right at the beginning. You get the whole section with the the building of Alpha, and then you get the bit on the planet, and then you get mm-hmm. you introduced to Valerian, right? And and his awkward, awkward flirting with um, uh, what's the name? Cara Delevingne's character, um, and I, at that moment, I'm just like, nope, I'm done, I'm out. <laughs> this this doesn't work for me. They've got no chemistry. They're wooden. Um, I can't yeah. believe that he's an intergalactic sort of like adventurer playboy. Like what as you said, why yes. isn't this Han Solo? Why isn't this Captain Kirk? Mm-hmm. Why why is it Dane DeHaan? <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and well, that's you're what not, you're... Look, I mean, I I will freely admit it. It it's a bad sign when, I, and I said the same thing. Like the, the quality of this movie mm. takes a nosedive when you introduce the main characters. That is a bad sign for a movie, right? You know, yeah. if you started with the best sequence and you're like, okay, now I guess we have to get around to introducing Bill and Ted, and the yeah. audience just goes, oh, groan. I guess we, yeah. I guess we're dealing with those guys. Bad sign for a movie. There's no doubt, and that stuff is is terrible. I, I was going to ask you though, what do you think about what is your feeling about like Terrence Malick movies? They're not ones I go off often to. I have to admit, I've probably watched a couple. Um, give me some examples, just so well, like I Tree know. of Life was, you know, or uh, the the Thin Blue Line, or the oh, Thin Red Line. You thin know. Red Line, yeah, I like Thin Red Line, and again. Tree of Tree of Life was an interesting one, um, but Thin Red Line. I remember sitting through that and being quite taken with it. I kind of like war films in their own sort of thing, but again, like you look at the cast of that film, it's a really solid cast. Yeah, you know, for the most part, um, and and that's what's important to me. Really, is is like I can, I can be taken along on a film if the cast, if I'm willing to be bought into the charisma and and the character and and. You know, again, I think this film would work. I think this film should work, and this film should be good. If you'd have, if if forget Dane, Dane DeHaan and and Cara Delevingne, dream casting, right? If mm-hmm. I put someone in, let's just say for for want of a better top to head, and don't shoot me for it. But so let you say you put in Chris Hemsworth and um, so I look around for a female actress, I don't know um, who I think. What's her name who was in the, the X-Men films? Um, she played Mystique. Um, and she was in oh. all the sort of Hunger Games films. 
Yeah, she she was in uh, like American Hustle. Yeah, uh, she uh, he, she's a quality actress and could play a strong, confident woman and has enough about her to be able to do a bit of humour. And he's got enough charm to come across like a bit of a lunk, you know, a, like a bit of a, a himbo, but be that mm. just good enough to be the sort of the the Zach Brannigan kind of space adventurer, you know, and have that flirty nature and stuff. Like, you know, I think they could have worked that, but it, it, yeah, I don't know. I think yeah, that film could should, could have and should have worked, but no, I think I think you're right. Um... I think that, uh, um, yeah, Jennifer Lawrence. That's it, Jennifer um, Lawrence, yes. Yeah, and she's good. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, uh, I think, you know, you don't don't hit me. for. I, I would not like Hemsworth. But, I mean, I like him personally, but I would not like him for this. But, uh, you know, I was thinking of the, the Solo uh, Star mm. Wars movie, which I think... You know, it has its problems, but I think, you know, was sort of unfairly maligned compared to, you know, other Star Wars movies. And I think that actor is perfectly fine. Uh, he would have, you know, he could have shown as Valerian and not mm. had people compare him to Han Solo. Um, you know, he doesn't have to he has doesn't have to beat Harrison Ford if he's as Valerian uh, yeah. and could play that same sort of dashing rogue uh, character. Um but yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that the the casting is wrong. I just brought up Terrence Malick because, while this is not, I mean, Terrence Malick movies are infuriating, but I always go back to them and I always mm. think of them and I and I tolerate much better. You know, they stay with me and I tolerate much better. Um, you know, long extended sequences without any actors um, mm. because it's is beautiful and, and fascinating. Now. It's unfair to compare this to, to Malik because the acting and the dialogue is, I mean, there are just sequences that are just grating, um, groan worthy. But I mean, in a perverse way, I come away from them and kind of think, you know, that was bad. And yet I love the scene before it. And there's an idea in this one that I really think is really cool. And I want more people to see. Um, so I don't know. For, so for me, I gave it a six point five. The point five is, I admit, being generous and and a reflection of that opening sequence and, you know, uh, the fact that there is stuff in this that I would like to give a higher rating. But yeah, I, I gave it a five. And it's I think that's generous. <laughs> yeah, but it's again, it's, it's I, I thought about it. I respect, as you said, I respect what this film wanted to do. And some of the stuff it does, do. so I respect it more than I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like again, I think you know, I I do think about that interdimensional market. I think that's a really cool idea. And there's some other bits like that. So I think actually, I respect what you were trying to do, and they had the balls to do it. So fair play, like well done for doing that. Um, I just wish it had worked better. So yeah, five. Yeah, but I think that's go. completely fair and and a great summary. But, but there we go. We've done that's our that's our season two retrospective. We've gone back and, and sort of given our films a rating. I think uh, uh, hopefully those that have listened in will agree. They might have some different scores. Let us know what your scores were. I know that there's been several people watching uh, watching them along with us. So you know, drop drop us a message and let us know what your scores are. 
um, and, and where you think we're wrong. Because I'm sure there are films where you disagree. That's brilliant. I want people oh, to man. disagree. Let us, let us know why and what your thoughts are. And if you interpret the films differently, I may disagree with the good the guys from Nerds chatting about how they see the end of Minority Report. But you know what? As you say, Julian, everyone's a winner if you enjoy the film. And I love the fact that those guys have got an interpretation of that film and they're taking it in that direction. So, you know, cool. Bring those ideas to us. And that's fascinating. It makes mm. us re-examine the film. And also, even if we don't buy that as much, it also points out the differences between that and Total Recall. We mm. might, and, and how both, if they're both can be conceived as doing that, how that is done differently in the two. And that helps me to understand Minority Report and even my own reaction to it better, which is mm. like, thank you for helping me understand myself better. You just saved me like millions of dollars in therapy bills. <laughs> yeah. But we're going to continue. The shows don't stop. So we're going to have a, an interseason uh, couple of shows. We're going to be looking at Westworld, starting with the Michael Crichton film uh, with Yul Brynner. And then going off, and we are going to be doing and looking at and reviewing the three seasons of the HBO uh, TV show. So I'm really looking forward to that because they are two very different beasts, um, mm. but obviously of, of a piece. So looking forward to that. But then, Julian, we go straight into season three, and it's a belter. It's a biggie of season <laughs> three because we're starting with a bit of a um, like a, a mini sort of interesting, but it's like a, a, a theme that we're starting with. And then we're getting full speed ahead. So do you want to give them a list of the films that we're going to be covering um, going into the next uh, season? Yeah, absolutely. I, I Just to preface it, you know, we originally were planning sort of the first six as, as a second sort of inner mm. season. Um, but sort of realized that chronologically they fit. You know, just with the yeah. continued season, that's how it was going to play out anyway. So let's just combine it. So that gives us an impressive yeah. <laughs> third season, which starts with the first block is the 1950s blocks. So we start with When Worlds Collide, 1951. Uh, it came from outer space, 1953. Them, 1954. The Quatermass Experiment that you were talking about, that miniseries. Mm -hmm. Uh, 1955, Earth versus the Flying Saucers, yeah. 1956, and uh, I believe it's a Hammer film, uh, The Tingler. It's a William, a William Castle film, The Tingler. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, Vincent Price. So I'm getting Vincent Price in there already. So I'm, I'm quite pleased with that. Looking forward to that one. Uh, yeah, looking forward to doing some of the 50s stuff there because there's so much to unpack from some of those films. And both of us are are big. I think we're big fans of fifties films mm. uh, and of B movies, and you know we're more tolerant of, of them than some people are. And I just think it's going to be so much fun to to watch these, and in many ways, in many times, watch them for the first time. Yeah, yeah. just so you know, Quentin Tarantino considers the fifties to be the worst decade in movies for the twentieth <laughs> century, and I've got to say he's so wrong. <laughs> Well, certainly about science fiction. Mm. Uh, but, you know, it is amazing to me how the 50 sci-fi gets such a bad rap. Um, but, you know, it has that sort of like pulpy uh, embrace of just going for it that I think is just wonderful 
And, you know, the thing the thing that I always say, you know, it's fascinating when we talk about people liking different genres and having different genres that sort of resonate with them. Mm-hmm. Mine is always sci-fi and the worst science fiction movie. I still mm-hmm. leave and I'm like, yeah, I know that wasn't a, a good movie, but yeah. giant ants, dude. <laughs> you know, like, that's so <laughs> awesome. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Not only giant ants, Clint Eastwood's first on-screen appearance. So... Well, I'm looking forward to it. Milestone. Um, so where are we after that then? So so starting the post-1950s portion, we have 12 more. We mm-hmm. start with Eyes Without a Face, 1962, a French film about plastic surgery uh, before it was doing that. Uh, the Man Who Fell to Earth, mm. 1976 with Bowie. Uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture, 1979. Then we hit The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai, 1984. Um, And Little Shop of Horrors, 1986, (laughs) a a joint pick there. Uh, Demolition Man, 1993. Strange Days, 1995, Mm. underappreciated. And then, since we, we have three from 2016 in the previous seasons, curiously, we have three from 1997 just Mm. in season three. We start with Event Horizon, mm-hmm. move into Gattaca, and end with the Spanish film Open Your Eyes. Which is a is that a, the rem is that a remake or a redo of Eyes Without a Face? No, it, it's not related to Eyes Without a Face. Ah. It is a it's a a Menabar who's who's probably my favorite Spanish director. It was original to him, and it was remade as the next film, which yes. is Ella Sky Two Thousand One. Which right. is a, a remake with again Tom Cruise of this mm. Spanish original. So I thought it would be awesome to juxtapose them and go right from one to the next and sort of, you know, yeah. see what we liked and what we didn't. Um, and then we close the season with The Fountain from 2006. Mm. So, quite an ambitious list. Yeah. Eyes of That Face, what was, I understand, was a remake with, with Antonio Banderas. Um, I believe so. I might be wrong, but I know he did a film about that. You know, so um, I haven't seen either, um, uh, but I, and I'm really looking forward to seeing that. So we've done Russian, uh, so now I'm going to be doing French and Spanish. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to challenging uh, myself with those. But yeah, yeah, great, great list. I can't wait to to dive into them. Uh, the, fa- I mean, the fountain is that the Aronofsky. Um, uh, I I have seen half of that. Um, it's one of those films that I saw. Uh, I, I was watching at friends, and I think I fell asleep uh, mainly because I've been <laughs> drinking. So, but I, I I am looking forward to revisiting that because it's one of those films that I keep saying to myself I should go back and watch that. Uh, it's up there with Scott, like with um, Cloud Atlas. It's one of those films I'm like I should watch that film, but I never get around to watching it. So I'm really looking forward. So what a season. I'm a much bigger fan of The Fountain than I am Cloud Atlas, but mm. I, I, I quite love The Fountain. But, you know, I think if the first season was a lot of our sort of like best picks and, you know, things that we loved, but a lot of classics, and the second was sort of like, let's have fun with this. Mm. I think the first season is sort of us, there are some things like that, you know, but sort of us reevaluating stuff and looking at some stuff that we we haven't even seen that mm. we want to, you know, see again fully i mean i haven't seen you know half of this this you know 50 stuff and mm. several things in the later list so 
I mean, that's amazing. Uh, yeah. And if half of them are as good as Godzilla and, and Glitter <laughs> Mask, you know, I'll be super happy. Well, you know, you're gonna love Demolition Man. So, and that was a Twitter. <laughs> that was a Twitter pick. Uh, weirdly, I put out. Uh, what did I put out? I put out. Uh, uh, what was it? Fifth Element, Total Recall, and Demolition Man. Because I know I had a single pick left, so I put it out to Twitter, and Demolition won by a mile. Um, so you know, the first time Sylvester Stallone, probably the last time Sylvester Stallone will be appearing on the on this show. Um, but we we'll, we'll get to the original uh, Judge Dredd eventually. Oh, in, in, in many, many, many years, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, no, I can't wait. Some great films on there, going everything from, like you say, from French cinema to Buckaroo Banzai and, and, and everything in between. So, and I've never seen Buckaroo Banzai. I mean, that that has been on my must-watch list forever. You know, mm. uh, same thing with other stuff on this list. So, uh, it's it's going to be amazing to explore these and explore these with you and well i'm sure that i'll learn so much by doing it and i hope that listeners will do that too and go along for the ride yes yeah some good some good films in there so it's gonna say it's gonna challenge us it's gonna challenge our viewers and our listeners so uh the other thing we're gonna be doing we're gonna be adding things to the youtube channel just as we sort of go out so these are long this is this is i might even split this one up because it's two hours 20 so far um but uh, not as a podcast, you know, if you can't listen to it as a podcast, you're a wuss. But as a video, I might <laughs> split it. Um, but yes, we, we have got uh, some more stuff coming up. Uh, you and I have agreed we're going to do some short, punchy ep- uh, some uh, videos. We're going to be doing things some verses, so things like which is better, Marvel versus DC. And then we're going to be doing some pitch videos as well. So what would be our pitch for dot, dot, dot? And then a whole bunch of other things as well. But we're going to keep those, sh- those quite short and punchy, sort of like, you know, still us talking so it's probably not going to be that punchy and short because we like to ch- chatter but like less than half an hour um we're always punching at our yeah. worst we're we're still punchy yeah we, we can punch with the best of them that's right yeah yeah we will be bringing like yeah we'll do a rocky retrospective next um watch the youtube channel i mean uh, look tell your friends about the podcast please rate mm. us you know we love when you participate on twitter it is a joy for me to see the youtube channel and I can, that's, that's the, I love watching our podcast on the YouTube channel. I have to admit, and I hate listening to myself. I hate the sound of my own voice. Um, and so on the YouTube channel, I can kind of like tune out and then tune back in and kind of see our expressions. And it just, it adds such a dimension to it. Um, you know, cause so often we're sort of having some banter back and forth and just <laughs> wrestling with an idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i've also i've had some editing software on my laptop for years that i've sort of basically learned that much of and i've been trying to learn a bit more so the youtube videos will be getting better like you know rather than just me shouting in the first second of you know, <laughs> welcome aboard <laughs> so hopefully they'll improve as well but ladies and gentlemen gotta say thank you very much for sticking uh, with us for this episode our wrap up please reach out to us uh, at uh, pod time space on twitter and let us know what you thought of this wrap-up and the episodes in this season. And is there anything in the in the upcoming episodes that you're particularly excited about um, and that you would like to sort of, you know, watch along and, and give your opinion on? So uh, come speak to us. Uh, so, Julian, as always, thank you very much. I've really enjoyed today. Thank you, Scott. Uh, I appreciate shall, uh... it so much, and I learn every time, man. Yes, uh, this has been great. So thank you very much, and uh, we shall catch up ready to do uh get our cowboys get our westerns on with westworld
Okay. Guys, we'll see you later.